Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. From trackside, 24 hours a day. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. The 24 hours of Le Mans is the greatest motor race in the world, and we are set for the 2018 running of this race in a couple of weekends' time. It is the 86th edition of this epic endurance event. But prior to that, of course, there is a test day, and we are here as part of Mobile One Radio Le Monde 91.2 FM to bring you live coverage throughout today, two four-hour sessions with an hour off for lunch. We're live from trackside at the Circuit de la Sarte here on Mobile One Radio Le Monde. So a very warm welcome. My name's Johnny Palmer, and I'm joined, delighted to say, I'm joined by Graham Goodwin here on 91.2 FM. Once again, we are Mobile One Radio Le Mans, and we're very pleased to say that too. And looking above from our little commentary booth alongside the media centre, the skies are bright and blue and clear for the time being, and that's certainly going to be much wanted by the teams as they prepare their cars for a nine o'clock start local time but it is anticipated we're going to get some of the wet stuff later on today as well how helpful that will be well we'll have to try and work that out through the course of the day but this is much wanted running for the teams ahead of uh, what's set to be an incredible battle uh, in two weeks time graham goodwin hello uh, yes indeed uh, it absolutely is johnny valuable time incredible battle uh, good morning everybody around the world uh, we're seeing already on social media lots and lots of you tuned in uh, wherever you are on the planet apologies for my slightly throaty style this morning hay fever's hit so uh, we'll crack on through it. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot of unanswered questions here. I don't think all of those are going to be answered today. We might get a, a hint as to some of them, but the relative pace of the cars in the LMP1 and the GTE classes. The grid, though, Johnny, 60 cars, all here, uh, looks absolutely stunning. Looks an absolute corker. And in, th- in all four classes... We are going to get battles. There's actually absolutely no yeah. doubt whatsoever about that. I'm sure we'll uh, talk ad infinitum about the hybrid, non-hybrid uh, issues uh, later in the show. But uh, be assured, if you're coming trackside next week, uh, if you're listening in at home, uh, you are going to be treated to some real entertainment here because uh, the, the depth of quality in this grid is of a level we've not seen for many years. And to be honest, until all the cars appeared on the track together yesterday for the now traditional group shot, if you like, to have 60 cars so closely bunched uh, um, sort of took my breath away, really, because you realise quite how large this grid is. I know we've had 60 cars before, um, and the additional garages were built to enable us to do that, but there was something special about that sort of 
it was it was four and three and four and three, wasn't it? And uh, you know there is a new start line here for this year, um, and in a sense the country got a little bit in the way because the cars were almost back to the full chicane. Well, that's because the, the perspective of the shot, you actually had to have a very large gap so you could actually see the cars in that uh, in that order, but it did make for a spectacular shot. Uh, there were a huge number of people here yesterday taking advantage of an open pit lane. Uh, teams, as always, relishing the opportunity to actually show off uh, what they've got this year for the travelling fans. And indeed, yesterday we did have a couple of surprises. And uh, I know uh, with Joe Bradley down the pits, the, um, the, the, there's going to be a couple of those stories that he'll be bringing to you. Yes, you'll have seen it on the internet, I'm sure. But there's, I think there's only really... The only way to prepare yourself for what you're going to see from the Porsche GT teams um, with the, the, the two retro liveries is to actually see these things yes. uh, in the carbon fibre. They look stunning. And the garages that they'll be housed in throughout the course of the event as well, like they've been built from uh, Accrington brick, I was about to say. And I have said, indeed, um, because it's imitation brickwork. It's the normal kind of boards that you would get in a pit garage but they've uh, had this special surface put on which looks like the side of a house and it looks great it, it really it works looks fantastic if you haven't if you are not aware of what we're talking about this morning do take a look uh, the reveal yesterday from porsche for the two full season wec cars is that one of the cars is in the famous porsche 917 pink pig livery and the other is in a rothmans livery uh, fabulous. They look absolutely... It's, uh, someone has done a fantastic job, and I should say, by the way, at times, some of the, the Porsche liveries lately have not been that no. imaginative. These are albeit retro, perfectly executed, and what a delight that was to arrive to see those. For the 70th anniversary of uh, Porsche from 1948 to 2018. Uh, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels, you're listening around the circuit and around the world to RS1 via the RS1 RSL player, rather, on www.radiolamont.com. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans on 91.2 FM. Graham Goodwin and Johnny Palmer in the commentary box ahead of the start of the first four-hour session. That's about four minutes away. And patrolling the pits for us, uh, a voice you will be well used to here on Mobile One Radio Le Mans, it's Joe Bradley. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everyone. Where else in the world would you rather be on this very day than the... This is where it starts, isn't it? We've waited 12 months to be back here. And wow, what a week. What two? What are two weeks, in fact, that we've got in store? Already cars moving off the pit here, and as you can hear, to form a queue. We're still uh, two or three minutes away from a green light at the end of the pit lane. Uh, pit lane in the shade at the moment, so fooling us into believing it's a bit cooler than it actually is out there. Ambient temperature already beginning to rise to the uh, mid-twenties. And you mentioned rain, Johnny. You've got a slight chance of rain uh, just after the lunch break when we get the second of our four-hour practice session started. But very heavy rain forecasted to end the this afternoon, to end the test day, in fact, uh, forecast for the last two hours of this afternoon. And it's uh, thunderstorms. So I'm not sure... If indeed it rains, whether we'll see any cars on track, because it's uh, I, th I think by now we've got enough data recruit on uh, wet tyres. Uh, what the what the rest of the day has in store? Voyage of discovery, I think, at this stage, and a discovery that will not really It's going to be a very very green racetrack, and the reason why is this is unique. It's unique here at Le Mans because we use public roads as part of the circuit here. So it's going to take. 
a little while to clean that track up and uh, we've been speaking to the teams across the uh, last couple of days and the track will continue to evolve right until, well, right until race day in two weeks' time and certainly evolve throughout the day. So where the fastest times are going to come uh, remains to be seen, if at all. Uh, just to tell you, thank you, Joe, for that. Just to tell you, as far as our perspective is concerned, we've got a cracking view of the main start-finish straight, but then the rest of the circuit uh, is covered at this stage of the event by locked-off CCTV cameras. They may be able to pan if there's an incident. They may be able to zoom in and out yeah, as well. They do. So we can cover the odd incident here and there. But otherwise, it's kind of going back to my roots doing a PA commentary, as in, you know, eight and a half mile lap, and we can't see a great deal of it. But we will be able to certainly work out if cars go missing. The other thing we're not necessarily going to be able to tell you, and there's a certain amount of speculation, which is certainly something we do best, I would suggest. We're cracking at that. We're cracking at speculation, is quite how fast cars are going to go in two weeks' time, because... Uh, there isn't such a thing as balance of performance. There is such a thing these days as equivalence of technology. And you don't want to show your cards too early, as in two weeks before the 24 hours, and, then, and go super quick out of the box, because all that will do, theoretically, is see your car pegged back because you're going too quickly and uh, everyone else doesn't have a chance. So uh, I don't want to use uh, necessarily the word sandbagging again. I'll use that once and uh, no more. But there is an. I'll use it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A few more times. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll leave that to Graham. Um, yeah, we're not necessarily going to see outright pace. What we may see, and this was a great term that you used uh, earlier in the week, Graham, we may see some incomplete laps. Uh, yeah. What we often see is blindingly quick sectors. Uh, and then they abandon the, the lap, don't complete a effectively qualifying uh, simulation. But lots of storylines to kind of savour today. Well, LMP1, we know all about that. The, the Toyota's are a known quantity. Or none of the non-hybrid cars are known quantity because even the car that was here last year, the Baikonur, is fundamentally different uh, this year. LMP2, the Oricas are a known quantity. But we've got the Joker Package's new... Uh, low drag kits for the Dolaras and the Ligiers here and we've got a more serious tyre battle between Michelin and Dunlop this year. GTE Pro well we saw what happened at Spa uh, the BMWs and the Aston Martins were well off the pace was that real? Was that planned? Well we might start to get an indication if you look at the timing screens very carefully as to whether or not that is too but for me, uh, as I said at the start of the show, the top of the show I think what I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks' time is a, a real battles in depth here. Yeah. Uh, it is now officially nine o'clock in France. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world, wherever you are around the circuit. We're live from trackside at the Circuit de la Sarthe. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM for 2018 and the 86th running of the Le Mans 24 hours. It's test day. And we're already nearly two minutes into the first four-hour session, the first of two four-hour sessions today. So we run from 9 o'clock through till 1 p.m. And there's an end an hour's stop for lunch, and 2 till 6 is the second session. But we're, it's likely, looking at the forecast, that that second session will be affected by uh, by rainy conditions and possibly the odd thunderstorm too. But a green light has appeared at the end of the pit lane, Joe Bradley. Yeah, we've got cars out is the number 11, the number 11 BR engineering car. It has one, Mr. Jensen. 
qualifying Formula One world champion, having his first taste of the Le Mans circuit. And remember, there's a number of drivers, Jensen's one of them, that must complete 10 laps. Uh, rookie drivers here, and Jensen, despite being 2009 Formula One world champion, of course, isn't a rookie here. Um, one of the guys that uh, we were saying there in this this huge strength index, 22 or 23 ex-Formula One, sorry, 22 ex-Formula One drivers, one current Formula One driver in Fernando Alonso here, and spread quite neatly through the... Uh, the classes as well, because there are uh, guys with that kind of level of pedigree all the way through the grid. The likes of Juan Pablo Montoya is here. Uh, Pastor Maldonado is here. Uh, it's great stuff. You're going to be hearing some very familiar names if you've been following Le Mans for a while, and some very familiar names if you've been following other forms of racing um, for a while uh, throughout the day. But uh, you will see some uh, some of the, the, the newer names for the Le Mans 24 Hours, albeit well-known names elsewhere, out in the early running this morning. And, I mean, this is not a new concept because in the 50s, the 60s, maybe just into the 70s, Formula One drivers and drivers from other disciplines did the Le Mans 24 hours as well. But it seems to have gone away for a little while. That uh, I mean, I I don't know whether that's the drivers being restricted by their relevant championships and, and, you know, not wanting to recognise that there's motorsport elsewhere, guys, outside of Grand Prix. Um, I think there's a a big element of that. And and that kind of dead hand has now been lifted. Yeah. I think motorsport realised through a number of ways. Maybe Mark Webber coming to the FIWEC with Porsche. Fernando Alonso going to the Indy 500. There were major pluses all round for those kind of campaigns. And, um, you know, I think it's a very positive move forward. As for Jensen, let's not forget, he's got a full season campaign in the Super GT Championship in Japan and leads the points in that. It's been a sparkling start to his season in a discipline that he's not done before. Back to 1999, uh, the time before stepping aboard a Super GT car when Jensen Button shared a race car with a one-off appearance in the Spa 24 hours in a BMW Touring car, would you believe? Uh, But he's delighted to be here, um, has shown himself ready, willing and able to have the outlook that we would hope and expect from a guy of his stature coming into an event of this stature. Think back to 2015 as well when Nico Hülkenberg won the race with El Bamba and Nick Tandy and Nico was doing a full season of Formula One racing at the time too. So it is a concept, thankfully, that's come back. But uh, there was a period of time when uh, other disciplines were very much separate. But uh, the grid is bolstered by a huge amount of names now from elsewhere. And that can only be good for the future of this race and the future, I'd say, for the World Endurance Championship too. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Cars are now out on track. Thank you for joining the Radio Show Limited network of channels around the circuit and around the world on RS1 via the RSL player on RadioLeMans.com. And incidentally, when we get to the lunch break at one o'clock, there is uh, for Radio Le Mans listeners... For Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM listeners, an exclusive chat with the 2003 Le Mans winner Guy Smith, who has recently announced his retirement from professional racing. John Hindoff sitting down with Guy at Silverstone a couple of weekends ago as the Bentley boy was preparing for his last race for the British round and the British brand, I should say. So the long one with Guy Smith being the track between the track sessions today between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock, only here on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM.
and on RS1, of course, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. But cars are now out on track. We have 10 LMP1s here this year. And if perhaps you're at the circuit and are trying to pick out LMP1s from LMP2s, it's very easy to do that. If you look at the number panels on the side of the cars, the race numbers, the red backing indicates that they are an LMP1. And all of the LMP1s are also full season entries to the World Endurance Championship. LMP2s have a blue background and are a mixture of WEC entrants, but also entries to the European Le Mans series, although this race is not a, a round of that. Um, many teams getting invitations because of their involvement with the ELMS, either this year or in previous years. And we also have, I'm delighted to say, some uh, cars represented from the Asian Le Mans series, those being the 33, the 34 and the 44 LMP2 cars. There are 20 of those machines and their race numbers are backed in blue. GTE Pro cars and these are full GTEs unlike a GT3 car. Uh, they don't have traction control, they don't have anti-lock braking system and uh, therefore a real challenge to drive. 17 LM GTE Pro cars and their the backing of their race numbers is green. And finally, the GTE AM cars, 13 of those amber number boards for the GTE AM cars. Exactly the same spec of car, although they have to be a year old. They cannot, cannot be brand new manufacturer cars. For instance, the Aston Martin Vantage AMR, cars 95 and 97, that are being run by Aston Martin Racing. You cannot yet race one of those in GTE AM. Marginal correction, it's a tiny point. It, they can be brand new, but they must be to the specification for the previous year. So you can build a brand new Porsche 911 RSR yes. to a 2017 spe specification, for instance, which they have. We have... 10 of those fabulous mid-engine cars here this week. Yes, and we have uh, had a situation where I think a Ferrari 458 in, in the past, Crone Racing had a brand new Ferrari 458 built but it was to the regulations of the previous year. So yes, so I'm sure a lot of the cars are actually brand new uh, but they can't be to the latest uh, design of cars. So you'll see, uh, thankfully, some of the older shaped Vantage GTEs from Aston Martin, those being the 90 and the 98 cars. Uh, the brand new Porsche with its revolutionary engine and gearbox configuration is now permitted in GTE AM, and they're all 911 RSRs, aren't they, in AM this year? Uh, and the yep, Ferrari 488 is uh, now into its third year, I think. Uh, you may be right, yes. Yeah, Sorry, you caught me while I was trying to switch through and find Sorry, some time you, here. you've got other jobs on your hand. I'll <laughs> leave you to that. Um, but there are many Ferrari 488s as well from teams like Spirit of Race, from Clearwater Racing, uh, the Singaporean team. And they're a World Endurance Championship entry for the full year. MR Racing will be a new name to... People here at Le Mans, the number 70 car from Japan. And again, they were at Spa as part of their World Endurance Championship entry. There are a couple of uh, ELMS entries too. And Keating Motorsports, who are here from the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, an American championship that uh, does actually have a round this weekend in Detroit. But that doesn't involve GT cars, so we don't have a clash as far as drivers and as far as cars are we, concerned. We do have a clash with drivers because there is, at this moment, a business jet making its way across from Detroit uh, and piloted by Patrick Lindsay, uh, who will be out in the Project One uh, Porsche later, yes. bringing a, well, a galaxy of IMSA stars who took place in the street race at Belle Isle uh, yesterday evening and with the, uh, the IMSA radio crew. 
uh, in fine voice with that one. But uh, they'll be arriving a little later this morning. We've also got uh, drivers either en route or here having taken place until just about midnight last night, some way south of us at Paul Ricard for the Blompen Endurance Series. Uh, so uh, Alex Brundle amongst the individuals uh, expected here later this morning uh, to take to the track. So cars are now circulating and uh, all P1s, LMP1s, have now been out. Um, uh, yes. No. Okay, no. that's the information I was getting. All P1s have been out. but uh, uh, no, I'm looking at uh, neither of the Genettas yet out. Um, right. I can tell you that Tom Dillman, at the moment, with uh, the session 11 minutes old, uh, Tom Dillman... Except for the it, man of cars. I, I beg it, your pardon, I missed that last bit. In the uh, Bicolas racing team car, has set the fastest time so far. Nothing like competitive times coming yet, as... as uh, uh, Joe was saying earlier, this track gets very, very green. The public road side, I think, takes a while to get the, the dust and the, the grease out of the road surface. Uh, but uh, Tom Dillman in the Bicolis car, 340.077 the quickest. In fact, the only one of the uh, LMP1 car to complete a lap time so far. In the Algarve Pro Ligier, 25. Ryan Cullen has gone round under 358. Uh, and Kevin Estre in the number 92 Porsche. Is quickest so far in the GTE Pro class 403180. Ben Barker in the Gulf Racing UK Porsche, the 86 car, seven fastest overall, quickest in GTM with a 4.15.595. Not representative times yet, though. No, indeed, and uh, we may well see cars uh, just doing an outlap, which becomes an in-lap for adjustment because. Although it will not be anything special as far as time is concerned, it is useful track time for a driver to give some feedback. And uh, obviously teams have been here for probably the best part of a week already. It is great for them to finally get a car or several cars out onto track for the first time. Uh, but bear in mind, uh, the Mulsanne Strait and other areas of the track were being used by regular rush hour traffic this morning and that's big trucks that spill lots of diesel or at least uh, trail some diesel onto the road it's going to be very greasy it's going to be very green and a racing line may emerge by about lunchtime but offline it's still going to be in a sense like an ice rink and just as the track becomes grippy that's potentially when the rain's going to hit yes um, my latest uh, weather forecast by the way said that the heaviest of the rain we may miss that at the end of the, the, the evening let's hope so we don't want uh, any of these sessions truncated in any way whatsoever. As the pink pig, the 92 goes by. Kevin Est, uh, a further improvement at 358.490 this time. Third quickest overall at the moment. Just uh, nine cars having completed a flying lap, although Mike Conway is uh, looks to be on a quick lap right now. We'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, quick message to anybody listening, and uh, I hope you are. Uh, you can, of course, drop us a line. Hashtag Mopa1RLM. At Blackpool Johnny and at DSC Editor. That's at Blackpool Johnny and at DSC Editor with the hashtag Mobile1RLM. And uh, we'll do what we can to answer any questions you've got during the, the eight hours of track time. Let's get a little bit more from from Joe Bradley, who is uh, down in the pit lane. Uh, what's the temperature like down there at the moment, Joe? Well, it, it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit... It, it's very cool. However... I think we're being deceived into believing it's cool because we're in the shade at the moment, Johnny. Just uh, if you step into the sunshine, the temperature rises quite significantly. We're, we're about 25 degrees 
at the moment and I know temperatures we're going to see towards 28 later on this afternoon as the temperatures rise um, which is probably what's going to bring the rain it's there's absolutely no breeze whatsoever pretty idyllic really for for a picnic certainly not idyllic to be dressed in overalls and uh, or even driving a race car but, uh, we're not going to we're not going to complain at all um, at the moment what we're seeing in the pit lane is cars going out and doing minimal amount of uh, of leverage if not just one out and then straight back in we're seeing i've just been watching the the number 88 porsche for instance that's the that's the Dempsey Proton car. Uh, Matthew Caroli, uh, Colin Alcabaiti, and Georgie Warder are in down to drive that car. That car just came in, went up on the jacks, they took tyre pressures, took a bit of brake temperature, and then nothing was done to the car other than bled a little bit of air out. And uh, and that's what test day is all about, I suppose. We've even I even had a pit stop where, uh, and hopefully, haven't had my little bit of camber took off, change of cast and have uh, increased the wing a little. Hopefully we'll not break up as much as we were. It's all about testing everyone's equipment at the moment, and that's what we're seeing. Nothing significant. Track still dirty, you guys alluded to. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, remember, these cars get completely dismantled and then rebuilt. So right now we're seeing if every nut and bolt is still in place, and we're just easing ourselves into this section. Live from trackside at the Circuit de la Sar. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. There is Joe Bradley in the pit lane, Graham Goodwin and Johnny Palmer in the commentary box overlooking the main straight. And I'm delighted to say that uh, we are introducing members of our team, well, in sort of 15-minute increments, because we've already had quarter of an hour of this session. Uh, good morning to Paul Trusswell, who is live in the Woking Data Centre. Good morning, Johnny. I hope you can hear me. We've, uh, yeah, I, I kind of set the scene this morning by having some French cheese and croissant for breakfast. Excellent. So uh, I, I may be in Woking in, physic, in physically, but uh, I'm with you in spirit and gastronomically. Certainly. Great stuff. Well, thank you for uh, being around all day, and you will be able to potentially read into what's going on here. Although the theme of the day, as we've already discussed, is teams will keep their cards deliberately close to their chest. Uh, I, um, I'm not sure whether they will or not. Um, I, I was ha kind of having a think about this yesterday. And we had a brief, uh, brief chat as well. Um, the technology is so sophisticated these days, and race control don't just look at sector times. I mean, we heard Graham saying earlier on we may see some quick sector times. Um, they don't just look at sector times. Uh, they don't even look at the kind of the slow zone, the mini sector times. They have GPS on every single car these days. So if w you can almost measure an instantaneous speed anywhere around the circuit. So in a sense, there's no point in sandbagging because if you just go quickly for a little bit, race control will spot it and they will be able to tell because they've also got telemetry on the cars they'll be able to tell whether you were at full throttle when you were doing a certain speed or at half throttle or at 80 percent all that kind of thing so um you're right they may be trying to keep their powder dry um but i think that you know what we're going to be able to see in this uh, in these two four-hour sessions is is going to be really who is able to go out there uh, and be reliable i think that's going to be crucial we haven't really talked about reliability but that's an, obviously a crucial element of uh, of this test is to make sure that your car is a reliable car um but if it's quick then you might as well go quick um and th as i say the uh, the technology is so sophisticated these days that it's very difficult for 
any of the teams to um, to pull the wool over the eyes of race control because um, race control know what you're doing. So um, I, th- I think, you know, it will be interesting to see. And uh, you're right, we did have cars coming into the pits at the end of a lap. They've now been going out again. Um, and we have both of the Toyotas now on uh, what you might call proper laps. Uh, Mike Conway in the number seven and Sebastian Buemi out in the number eight at the moment. But Despite having all the data and the access to uh, times and uh, sector times here, I'd still rather be with you. <laughs> I can't really say much to that, really. I mean, great to have you here, but uh, nevertheless, you're on the end of an Alcamel time, which uh, or a timing screen, which is instantaneous. So you can certainly keep us in tune with uh, what's going on. We've had nearly 20 minutes, and the Toyotas aren't happy with their early morning pace because Sebastian Buemi, who's at the wheel of the number eight, Toyota Gazoo Racing TSO 50 is going even quicker. Uh, Mike Conway driving the number seven car. And the other LMP1 car that's up there on the times is the Baikales Racing Enzo CLM. Tom Dillman's the latest driver to, in fact, he's probably only been Tom only in that driver, car. Yes. And uh, that car has now come into the pits, car number four. So it's a quick time. Yeah, absolutely right from Seb Wamey. A 3.23.769. couple of quick laps as well from Mike Conway. 3.28, now a 3.26.727. But remember, looking back at that astounding uh, pole-setting lap from Kabuki Kobayashi, uh, 3.23 is nine seconds off that. Uh, Edex Sport in the hands of Paul Lubchatter, now third quickest, by the way, gone quicker than the Bicolis' early time in the number 48 car. Yeah, and... Uh, in GTE Pro, uh, we've had a number of takers to early morning testing because action from Porsche, from Corvette, from Ferrari, two Aston Martins are out there and circulating too. I don't see any BMWs up there quite yet, but they may be running. It's just that they haven't yet set uh, times equivalent to Porsche, Corvette, Ferrari et al. And the Fords as well. Uh, two of them are now on an outlap and they've done some installation work, but uh, it is the 67 and the 69 that now go out, possibly for proper outlaps. The 68's been out, but then back in again. And BMWs flashing through the screens, uh, again, are yet to out hit their marks. Out and in for both out BMWs. So Kevin Estra, so far the fastest uh, GT Pro car, car number 92, he did a 358.4. Compare that to Tommy Milner's effort in the Chevrolet Corvette number 64, which was a 359.8. The best Ferrari time, Tony Villanda, 4 minutes 0.5 for the 52 AF Corsa entered 488. And Antonio Garcia in the other Corvette, car 63, has done a 4 minutes 0.6. So 358.4, 359.8, 4 minutes 0.5 and 4 minutes 0.6. Uh, include a Porsche, a Ferrari, and the two Corvettes. The best Aston Martin time so far, a 4.02.7, which is the eighth fastest GT Pro time. Joe Bradley. Yeah, just as you mentioned, Kevin Estre going quickest in GTA Pro. Uh, the 92 Porsche, this is the Pink Pig liveried car. Kevin Estre having a helmet design uh, that matches the Pink Pig livery of the 92. He's changing helmets. He's come in step out of the car now he's putting his regular helmet on maybe there it's a new helmet obviously with the new livery and we mentioned the pink pig you have to look back at Le Mans 1971 where this was the livery that the Porsche 917 ran it was the kind of at the end of it the 917's life back in 71 and uh 
this livery on this number 92 car is there in homage to that and uh, the sister car next door the 91 that's in the the blue red and it's got a gold stripe in it that's in homage to the Rothmans era one here in the Porsche 956 in 82 and 83 and also with the 962 in 86 and 87 I'll just sit my anorak up there I'm just watching what's going on here with Estrit and uh, the car is in the garage he's changed helmet so he's not happy about something with the helmet probably communications there's a quite a conversation going on with the engineer he's put his spare helmet on the one with his normal helmet with the Estrit orange and red livery uh, Lauren Van Tour involved in the conversation also but the the main talk is coming from the engineer so instructions being given to Estre there and I, I would think Johnny he may be quickest in the GTE Pro at the moment but I think we shouldn't read too much into the significance of the lap times being posted at the moment. Um, there's already a slow zone out on track because of a loose floppy bollard basically. No, I think it's a, it says a floopy. Oh, it does say a floopy. It does say a floopy which You're I think right. is, uh, is possibly incorrect but uh, no first slow zone is that like a, like snoopy it might be a on, snoopy on shaped floppy it could be but uh, that's down at the dunlop bridge uh, so the marshals there will be being assisted by race control to recover that from the racing service that gives us an opportunity to answer a question from at floodman 11 good morning sir from uh, down under uh, whether or not there will be practice for the uh, safety car slow zone practice runs. Generally, we do tend to see that. Yeah. Although, if we actually do get something happening live, um, then they'll tend to actually do that one uh, around a live exercise rather than a pre-planned exercise. We might also even see an extraction uh, thing. Now, hang on a minute. Next slow zone was removed. Mm. And I've just seen a Toyota go by at very reduced speed and to be absolutely blitzed uh, a GT car. Now that might mean the Tota was struggling to get back up to speed. Might do. Because the, the slow zone has been removed. Unless they were just testing things. I mean, the other thing they, they can sometimes do early in the day is just to calibrate the speedos. And uh, you have a limiter for the pit lane, which is 60 kilometres per hour. And a, another, uh, another limiter for the slow zones, which are 80 kilometres per hour. And they might just be trying to work out on the GPS at Toyota that everything is kosher as far as that uh, calibration is concerned. Or it's a problem. And uh, well, I'd be surprised at this, uh, this early stage of the day, but it's not uh, unknown. Well, keep an eye on that. Uh, that was... That was Sebastian Buemi. Now, he's gone through the first sector in a not terrifically slow time. So my guess is he was just possibly a little slow off the mark. Through goes the seven. Not that quick either. Mike Conway. Uh, he had, however, um, on the previous flying lap, gone through the 324.577, Mike Conway. So 0.8 of a second separates the two Toyotas now, the 8 and the 7. Still some way away from, well, competitively pole-setting times. Well, I don't think we're going to see that today. But uh, that's still mighty quick, 323 and 324. Give you an idea, 3.24, and Paul might be able to help me with this one. I think that was around pole time for LMP2 last year. Um, com some comments coming through via Twitter from Andrew Cotton, who's the editor at Race Car Engineering. Will be He's joined. a fine bloke. He is. He is a fine bloke. He stuck his head uh, through the door of our little booth. He should have opened uh, it first, he... really, shouldn't he? <laughs> 
<laughs> he very, very rude. We were having a chat about him. Um, yeah, so he was making his way to the very far end of the press room where he's based, uh, well, mere feet away from the Daily Sports Car gang. And you are a, you're a bit of a rabble we are. these days. Absolutely. Uh, and Andrew says via his Twitter handle, at RacecarEd, uh, regarding the speed of the cars, uh, we know all about them from last year, but they will probably be as fast, or if not faster than last year, because we know that's what they can do. It's then up to the others to get to to get up to speed. So, um, well, that's sort of veiled in vagueness, isn't it? But apparently, Andrew says they can go quicker than 2017. Um, I'm sure that's that, true. That was echoed in with as far as speeds were concerned at Spa. Uh, well, look, there's nothing been done to reel in the Toyotas this year, and quite correctly so. Uh, the controversy has been around the equivalence of technology for the non-hybrid cars. There is a reality there. We don't know what to expect from any of those cars, and that's for me, it's going to be one of the fascinations of the day to see what kind of trap speeds we see and lap times we see from the LMP1 on hybrids as they get up and running. Uh, it will be, of course, the first time that any of them, including the Baikolis, have seen this track in their current form. Baikolis with a new aero package, a massively revised uh, Nismo uh, Turbo 6 engine aboard that car, now putting out some 700 brake horsepower. So there will be real interest in seeing what we can see from them, not just in terms of speed, but reliability over eight hours as well. Just looking at the uh, Sector 2 time for the number 8 car, and in fact Sebastian Buemi's now pitted, but 78.8 is a respectable time for an NMP1 car. So obviously that uh, limiter was... Uh, unlatched as the car headed onto the Mulsanne straight, but I think uh, just a little bit tardy was Buemi for, for whatever reason in releasing the speed limiter as he had it headed past us on the main straight. Let's get a little bit more news from the pits and Joe. Yeah, Buemi is uh, in with the number eight Toyota. The team were ready. He's Buemi is waving and gesticulating to his engineer on the pit wall. But the moment he came to a halt, the door was sprung open and he was waving his arms around trying to communicate something hard to fathom what exactly he's communicating but the car's now up on its dollies and being wheeled backwards into the garage uh, where whatever it was that slowed the car um, what, the way you described Johnny is uh, likely to be addressed hardly hard to see what exactly is going on at the moment other than they are removing the wheels and tires as the sister number seven comes in alongside and it pulls to a halt. So Toyota just working through their work programme here, just ticking off the boxes of things that they're trying to check out. And in preparation for this race, they have done extensive testing with regards to combating any kind of issue of attrition. They have practised issues and addressing issues with cars. They've even practised the car coming in on three wheels, uh, I read somewhere. I think it was race car engineering, actually. Um, so they, they are ready to attack the Le Mans 24 hours. It's not about performance necessarily this year. I think we're going back to an all-style endurance race over 24 hours where they were always in the past races of attrition. We've kind of evolved away from that in uh, recent years. And I think this year, I think we're going to go back in time a little. I think it's going to be down to the car that lasts the longest is going to be at the front. Last man standing. Do you honestly think so? I do. I absolutely do. Okay. Um, especially the LMP1 class. Tend to I'm agree. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to throw something out here um, that I'll continue to uh, to throw out in race week. But I think we could see an LMP2 car win overall. 
it came very close last year, didn't it? And yeah, the one thing we know about these Gibson engines that power now all of the LMP2s in the field, uh, all 20 of them, is that uh, they're bulletproof, generally speaking. Yeah, we've seen very, very few uh, problems of note for the Gibson 4.2-litre V8 engine. And it's uh, a, well, a heavyweight derivative, uh, heavyweight in terms of the work that's been taken to do it, 4.5-litre version of that that powers three of the... LMP1 cars, the two Rebellions and the Dragon Speed, a bit more on Dragon Speed a little later this morning, after their travails at Spa. But uh, yeah, I mean, Gibson, the guys down at Repton, uh, what a fantastic job they've done of supplying this dual-light thing to a spectacular number of LMP2 cars uh, in WC, in the LMS, and of course across in IMSA Racing as well. But as you say, you know, the difference is... Uh is 0.3 of a litre uh, as far as engine size is concerned. So presumably much of the technology that has already been tried and tested in that 4.2 litre power plant can be transferred to the 4.5 litre. And, well, again, Rebellion. And the one uh, BR engineering BR1, because remember the SMP examples are powered by AER engines, still a very good engine, don't get me wrong, but um, Gibson will be moving that uh, reliability to those three cars almost seamlessly. So they look very strong. You've uh, just said that out loud. You realise that? I do. Yeah. No, well, I'm, I'm willing to uh, put my name against it because, uh, you know, the number of uh, ELMS races you and I have watched last year and into this year, and we know how how strong the, the, the P2 engine is. Uh, Joe wants to add a few more words as well. Maybe get me out of a deep hole. I don't know. No, 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 not at all, Johnny. It's just there's something in, in the past, what we've seen from Rebellion, and I, I have no idea what it is, unless I went and spent six months in their garage and maybe could put my finger on it. But they've always been dogged by unreliability of sorts. And whether that is down to preparation or just bad luck, I don't know. Um, I mean, Graham might be able to add to this, but it, it's you know what? If, if if it was that Gibson engine in anything other than the uh, the Rebellion, um, then I'd be saying you know what? They've got a star as favourites behind Toyota. Toyota obviously with the LMP1 hybrid, uh, the only LMP1 uh, hybrid cars here. Um, but you know what? It's I know we're going to talk about this a lot, and, and Toyota being here as favourites. I know we've tried to balance the performance out with regards to fuel and how many laps they're allowed uh, on a fuel tank, etc. But it's it's all going to be down to attrition, I think, rather than performance. 100%. And absolutely even, And even though Toyota could kind of wind the wick in a little bit, they, they can't wind it in that much because... The regulations have been well written, in my view, to, all right, over a lap, yeah, Toyotas are going to be at the front, but over 24 hours, hard to, hard to judge where it's going to be. Even if, there, even if there is no attrition, where that's going to pan out with regards to how the regulations balance the overall race performance, let's say. It should be balance of race performance, actually, shouldn't it? Well, here's a figure for you, Joe. In the time that Toyota have been campaigning the hybrid cars since 2012 and the dawn of the FIWEC, uh, I think it's 13-1-3 cars have been entered for this great race by Toyota. Care to take a guess how many of those have actually uh, finished the race without substantial delay? Uh, you know what? I think none. It's two. Right. It's two, and what you know, uh, and you know that's that that's a, a stat that has not gone away. Mm -hmm. um, you know that you, I know there's an element out there in terms of the the debate that's going on in the grandstands, on the web uh, forums, uh, on Facebook, etc. 
about the way the equivalence of technology sits. But there's another thread here, which is can Toyota find another new and exciting way to lose this race? You know, which is, I, I, I say that in a slightly cynical way, I certainly don't wish ill on them because no, no. what a fabulous effort it, it, this is. And I, and but I you can't write the history of this race two weeks before it starts. They're running out of ways to lose it, aren't they, I suppose? I think in the past, though, they've been pushed by performance uh, criteria. They've, they've, been, you know, they've had to push the performance level of the car to compete with Porsche and Audi. Um, this year's completely different. They can, as I say, wind the wick in and not concentrate on performance. And I think that's what they've done. Their preparation has been all about um, reacting to adversity and monitoring attrition and testing things to destruction and then how the, the team in the pits uh, react to. They've, they've strengthened the wheel arches, for instance. They've got extra thickness bodywork over the wheels. So if they have a wheel-to-wheel -wheel contact with a GT car, for instance, that you know that you could be winning this race by you know because you're 10 seconds a lap quicker. Mm. But then if the driver makes a slight mistake, and let's not forget the human element, because I think we do. We do in all forms of motor racing. We forget the human element. There's still a human being behind the wheel of these cars that has to press pedals at a certain point, well, turn the wheel at a certain point, and and human the human element. Well, that can let you down, can't it? Well, look what happened with Camille Kobayashi in the extraordinary incident with Vincent Cavalier, uh, where, well, clearly a big uh, a big Kobayashi fan and effectively. Uh, ruined the race for them by going out and congratulating him on a job well done in the middle of the night here. Uh, Kobayashi, with the orange-suited uh, LMP2 driver, thought he was being signalled to go by Marshall, crossed the red light, and that was the beginning of the end for that car. Um, just an exciting moment just now, a purple sector, as in the fastest first sector in the session so far, after now 36 minutes, and it's not to a Toyota, it's to a Rebellion, Neil Janney. And here's one for you guys. Is that number one crew, Neil Janney, uh, with um, uh, Bruno Senna and uh, Andre Lotterer, is that the best ever crew we've seen in a non-factory LMP1 car? Well, it's fairly subjective, I suppose, but it, it's going to come close. They are all platinum-graded drivers, but we've got plenty of uh, all three being platinum in other cars. But Lotra with four race wins here? Well, Lotra with multiple race wins and a world championship. Johnny with a race win and a world championship. Yes. Bruno Senna. What's uh, he just, just, uh, what, who, Who's he? That? Bruno, standout performances last year in LMP2, and that's a tricky thing to do. Yes. Properly quick. I think that's a car to watch. If they can keep that thing reliable, that's that's the car to watch. I'm disappointed we, we're not seeing Nico Prost here. Um, he's not here at all in anything, no, he's not. is he? No, he's not. No. And, um, and that's a shame, really, because there's a young man who can deliver consistently. Mm. Uh, True. He's quick. And he's, and raced he's in got the same, a good head on him, isn't he? Raced in the same car, didn't he, as Bruno Senna last yeah, yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. A miss, but uh, a deal didn't come together, or his priorities are elsewhere, perhaps for this year. I'm sure it's somewhere on the Frenchman's radar for the future. But the other car, by the way, that is run by Rebellion, that's the number three machine, uh, very much uh, the up-and-coming stars car, apart from Matthias Besch, who's obviously been driving for Rebellion for many, many years now. But Gustavo Menezes making the step up from LMP2, the American just 23 years old, and Thomas Laurent is a real superstar in the making, now graded as gold, just 
20 years old and we were first drawn to him uh, in LMP3 was LMP3 it? LMP3 yeah. he actually did a bit of CN racing but he's come through the Jackie Chan DC Racing school of going very quickly through the Asia Le Mans series uh, in their LMP3 programme then LMP2 the older cars now an LMP1 driving what is it three three and a half years amazing stuff uh, a fine young man as well and great to see him now beginning to duke it out at the very top of this uh, this sport fabulous stuff Paul Truswell is uh, watching numbers uh, tumble onto the timing screen and the 8 and the 7 have recently come in for a pit stop the 7 car still in the pit lane but Anthony Davidson now taking out the number 8 car now Ant isn't part of the official lineup for the number eight car but this is where we're going to see uh, some test drivers and indeed reserve drivers as far as Ant is concerned making use of the test day in the number eight car. Yes that's right you were you were saying earlier on about uh, drivers certain drivers having to do their 10 laps uh, if they're not on the, uh, the the famous list of pre-qualified drivers as if you if you look up in the uh, sporting regulations which are available online uh, appendix 10 gives you the list of um, they're called experienced drivers uh, and in effect they're exempted to take part in the test day uh, however another aspect of the test day uh, is this fact that you don't you're not limited to having three drivers, uh, which is a limitation for the 24 hours. Um, but in the tester, you can have up to five drivers nominated for your car. Anthony Davidson is actually a nominated driver for both of the Toyotas, both seven and eight. Um, but he's not, in, he's, not, he's not unique in that either, because Fernando Alonso is actually um, nominated to drive both cars, which means if for whatever reason Toyota does have a problem with one of their two cars, uh, then Fernando can quite happily step from one to the other to do his 10 laps in that. That one as well so Anthony is out although as you say Johnny he's not scheduled to be driving at the Le Mans 24 hours but he is there as a reserve driver um, and it does make sense for him to um, just get familiar with the car uh, in the uh, the eight hours of testing that they do have available to them today although I say from Toyota's point of view the guy who needs to be doing the laps uh, in other words the guy who has to do his 10 laps is Fernando Alonso and he's not still I'm also interested, Paul, in your take on, uh, we, we were talking about uh, Toyota's priority this year, their mindset for the race, and the fact that they maybe don't have to go 100% throughout the 24 hours. They could rein it back a little bit in favour of reliability. What's your thought? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I have to admit, I was biting my tongue when you were talking about a race of attrition. Um, last year, <laughs> admittedly, it was a huge race of attrition. I mean, the, the, uh, the amount of time spent in the pits... Uh, by the race winner is one of the boring statistics that I keep and last year was uh, I think it was an hour and a half spent by the race winner in the pits and that's only the first time that it's been over 45 minutes in the last 20 years so last year's race was indeed a race of attrition and it was won and lost by how quickly the work was done in the pits and as you say very nearly an LMP2 car won um, Joe Bradley's peddling of an LMP2 car winning the race out, uh, outright it's absolutely fanciful um, because we've got such a strong P1 entry this year. It's not just a case of the P1 hybrids possibly having problems. Uh, we do have the, uh, the rest of the P1 privateers who are going to be snapping around the heels. However, uh, with the best will in the world, they're not going to be snapping on the heels of the Toyotas because the Toyotas have all of the advantages. If you look at the, um, the way that the race has been arranged through the equipment, 
equivalent of technology. Uh, the Toyota has a half a second a lap advantage on pace. It'll have about five seconds per pit stop, shorter on each pit stop, and it will go one lap longer on each stint. So the, the Toyota, yes, it may well have a rebellion snapping on its heels in the first stint because the rebellion will be half a second or so a lap slower, but it will go an extra lap on its first stint and then it will spend less long into the, in the pits. And so it will come out at the pits at the end of the first set of pit stops, um, probably with a 10, 15 second advantage. And that will then stretch over the course of the race. And if all other things remain equal, uh, my suggestion is that the Toyotas have around about a two lap advantage over the full 24 hours over a privateer car. So to answer your question, Johnny, the Toyota has two laps of a cushion that it doesn't have to use. And to my mind, they're going to use that cushion to make sure that the car is absolutely 100% bulletproof reliable. That's where the attention has been over the last 12 months. There's been precious little development in terms of moving the car forward. It's all been about making it reliable. And, and this is where Joe was spot on the money, making sure that when the car does have a problem, the team knows how to address it. Um, and that the that, that they don't get into the same situations as they had last year. Paul, there was me building tension, mounting excitement <laughs> about the possibility of an LMP2 car winning. Uh, there's Paul bringing us all down to the sensibility and rational in thinking. And uh, yeah, it's just maybe the romantic side of me. Um, I'm going to get just to just to put in uh, Paul, if I may, um, the number five and the number six, just to give them their complete title. That's the CEFC. TRSM Racing Genetas. They are in the garage. They have got no wheels on, and I can't really see anything happening other than um, polishing. A lot of polishing going on. Ah, however, my mate Rowley has donned his helmet, and he's the chief refueler. So that might be that the number five and six. They may, it may be, you know, that there's a, there's a few competitors here just waiting for the track to clear up. Ah, and as I say that, they've obviously heard me. Graham Loudon's given the... the uh, the instruction the number five has been rolled out now swiveled around 90 degrees and pointed in the right direction still no wheels on the car just on its dollies so we're soon to see the genetas of the CAFC TRSM team out and doing some laps at last okay well uh, I suppose uh, different teams will have a slightly different perspective a different pace to the day and we have got eight hours to go out here so uh, the fact that there was some maybe pre preparatory work taking place for the first 40 minutes or so is no drama I wouldn't suggest no they'll want to squeeze as much time as they can on a track they can be confident of there's no doubt about that good news that we're going to see slip the five outs as soon as possible uh, remember a driver change since the prologue test for uh, that team with Mike Simpson stepping in for Dean Stoneman and Mike the long-time uh, factory driver development driver for Janetta and uh, Lawrence Tomlinson making sure that he's got a uh, man in that car that he absolutely uh, knows trust the feedback he's going to get from Mike and Mike I have to tell you what a delight it was to see him having got the news that he was going to start this race in an one car um, make no mistake, the biggest news for that young man 
um, oh, sure. in his professional life. Yes, yes. And uh, he's been part of that campaign, the the, the initiative to, to design and build the car from its inception. So this is reward, I would say, for his commitment so far. Are we going to see Dean Stoneman again at the uh, Wheel of a Genetta? I hope we do. Uh, I hope we do. I, I've not got any information about that whatsoever, but it will be for this race, certainly, Charlie Robertson. The um, the I, mean, I think, actually, we can go back to Joe, can't we? We can, about the Genetta uh, G60. Yeah, the number five has been uh, wheeled out over the pit apron, swiveled round through 90 degrees, kind of giving me, get me all uh, head up and excited to see the car finally into the session. However, they've just put some fuel in it and they've wheeled it back into the garage. Um, you know what? I've got an opportunity to speak to Lawrence. Excellent. Mr. Tomlinson. Well, he is the yeah. LT in the title of the car. Yeah, so. I've, got a, I've, got, I've, got, I've grabbed his attention. Lawrence, it's quite a thing for you to see these cars here making their Le Mans debut, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Proud moment. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, just waiting for them to go out. The, uh, the number six car is ready to go now, so... Uh, track should be clean uh, we don't want to spoil this beautiful blue paintwork it's a long long time to go so yeah very proud movement and um, looking forward to see where where they sit at the end of the sessions you know how tough this race is Lawrence is this a, is this a race that you, you come into thinking not about where you're going to finish in on race day but just getting through it yeah I mean the this is the first race for a new car so uh, it's the biggest race biggest race in the world so uh, first outing first of all we we really want to get the cars to the end uh, you know reliability is something we're working on rather than speed initially and um, you know the team have done a good job we're very proud of getting these two cars out there's been some traumas along the way but um, we had a commitment to have them here and hopefully we'll have them in uh, the rest of the WEC season are you happy standing at the back of the garage or do you have a, a slight itch to get behind the wheel and try the car here at the south? Was that something about me driving? Yes. Yes. I, um, <laughs> yeah. And I, going up against the Lonzo and Button was always going to be tricky. <laughs> I don't know. I think they've still got a few years in here yet, Lawrence. I want, I want to drive the car for sure, but um, not here. Then uh, not in a way that would compromise it. There's no way I am fast enough to go up against those guys, and these cars have a good chance. So we uh, we definitely want to see the result for the team and the cars rather than uh, an, an, an idiot like me. Thanks, Lawrence. Wish you well. Great to see these cars here, and that's a bit of a, a Lawrence Tomlinson in being humble shocker there. Guys, that's a first. I'll, I'll note that down in the diary. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Joe. Uh, no, Lawrence great. Tomlinson. It is great to see, and he, and he alluded there to the effort that it's took. Uh, we, we know there's a, a, a bit of... Well, I, I know I've been the other side of the fence, and I know how difficult it is to get budgets and, and funding to put a race car on a track, and it's and that's the part of the business no one likes. This is the part of the business everyone loves, the, the bit about where the cars are going round and round. But behind the scenes, it's just an absolute... It's like being a swan, isn't it? Or grace hmm. and serenity on the surface. But underneath, everything's paddling like, like what's it? Yeah, like crazy. The uh, Genetta G60 LTP1s with their 3.4-litre Mechachrome engine. That's a V6 power plant with just a single uh, turbocharger that sits in the middle of the V. And, uh, well, uh, Genetta have had drama this year, but it's great to see the cars here and uh, just about to head out, Graham Goodwin. Uh, yeah, very good indeed to see them here. And if uh, you're there here listening in at home or trackside, you do encounter Mr Tomlinson or any of his team uh, over the next couple of weeks. 
be Sean to say thank you. It's been one hell of a journey uh, through the traumas, not of their making, um, and not of manners making either, uh, to get these here. And actually, also a big thanks. I know Lawrence would want to say this to the ACO for, for showing the patience they've done with allowing this this thing to come together. Um, one quick thing. I mean, yeah, Lawrence was, you know, lowering expectations, I think probably quite correctly, about uh, what we're going to see in terms of the performance of the cars here. But uh, there is one nice little neat piece of history here. Lawrence, uh, of course, part of the Team LNT effort that uh, won in the GT class, GT2 as it was, uh, back in 2006, the Panos Esperanti. That car, uh, which, by the way, sits in the race shop where these P1 cars are built, uh, that car had terrible trouble through the lead-up to the Le Mans 24 hours, came through to a marvellous victory, and was garaged in garage number 13. Guess which garage the number five is in this year? Number 13? It is. <laughs> and, uh, they have actually swapped the two cars around, by the way. It was supposed to be six in there. Five is the... I think it's it's certainly fair to say the car that Ginetta has a, has a stronger hand in um, looking after of the two from uh, the TRSM uh, squad. I uh, should say as well, by the way, notably, uh, you will see no CFC branding on that car. Mm. Um, I think the uh, the issues around that relationship are have been well written um, over and over again. But uh, I know Graham Loudon and uh, the team have been working incredibly hard to bridge the gap. And I think we're going to be hearing some news in the weeks to come. I think we've got a red flag. We have got a red flag. Just after um, the number eight car had gone through to set an even quicker lap, and it's because car 56, which is the, the Project, One, Project One Porsche, the yellow and black liveried Project One Porsche, which is a GTE AM car, uh, that has had an incident, and there is some debris on the track close to post 31. So there's been a, there is a red flag. The clock will continue to count down because this session is time certain, and we have to be done by one o'clock on the nosy so a red flag means that we will lose time uh, a 322.811 though and davidson's yep. best effort and that's the best time of the session so far it is one thing to actually have to sorry paul it's the way is it so okay yeah. so uh, for some reason um it says davidson on the our screen still says davidson but we may have had okay, another yep, driver no. switch yep no no sorry i've um i've misread this screen so yes you're on you, it is davidson to actually add to something Paul was saying earlier about uh, Ant Davidson as a reserve driver, there are, uh, and quite right, there are several reserve drivers uh, doing laps here, as indeed they have to per regulation, and uh, at least three in LMP2. Wayne Boyd will uh, is named against both the United Autosports cars. Uh, Alexander Imperatori is named against the G-Drive, the 26 car. And Anders Forstadt is named against the 35 S&P racing car, his regular ride, the high-class racing car, unlucky uh, not to actually be promoted from the, uh, the reserve list. But to do that, to be classified as a reserve driver, they've got to do 10 laps here, and they've got to have started at least one race earlier in the season. Perhaps the most interesting thing about those three, though, uh, you may or may not remember, uh, gentlemen, so uh, there was a bit of controversy at the start of the year with the driver squad listed for the third, the 26, mm. which did not have a non-professional graded driver, uh, and was sitting there effectively with a waiver to do that. That was changed, and we've got uh, Andrea Pizzitola, who is albeit a very quick but silver-ranked driver. I have been told by the team 
that um, Alexander Imperatori, who is a goal-ranked driver, would be available to replace any of those three as per that original agreement with the ACO. Right, so it might be Pizzatola out, no, Silva. If if, and if if he was indisposed, it would have to be a good reason for Pizzatola to step out of that car. Right. They can't just but do that. But the end result is still, you have a platinum and two golds. Correct. against the regulations, surely. Uh, but there is, uh, uh, again, as per the list we initially saw, that is what I've been told by senior source within the team, is that they believe that uh, were Pizzatola indisposed here or later, then they could put uh, put uh, Alexander Imperatore in that car. Well, the, the same regulation uh, has been used to allow Henrik Hedman to step into uh, a P1 car, uh, the number 10 Dragon Speed car, which I know you wanted to talk about, Graham. I'll let you do that in a minute. Um, but Henrik Hedman is a bronze-rated driver, and he has been allowed uh, this dispensation, as, say, the ACO. We've always had this regulation in, but they've never actually used it, um, to allow uh, the driving crew regulations to be in effect waived waived with an eye um so um and, and that has been used for for dragon speed uh, and it is potentially uh, although um, whether it still applies to the G-Drive team remains to be seen, but uh, potentially that's exactly what you've just been saying, Graham, uh, to allow Imperatori to, in effect, um, not by having his grading changed from gold to silver, but by having the regulation waived, which says that the uh, the rules are, are thus, and provided that you give the ACO uh, sufficient data on your driver's um, results at various races, then they can accept that and say, okay, yes, although it breaks the, the, the rule, it is within uh, our power to allow you to do it anyway. It's Yeah, there's been a number of controversies through the season on that front, not least of which you'll remember Johnny is the, uh, the uh, crew in the European Le Mans series that does not feature um, a bronze driver in LMP3. Yes. engineering, and that's been one that is just it's still a buzz the paddock there that that is a very dangerous precedent to set well as an opposing team i would have more of an issue with that lmp3 example that you've just uh, reminded me of and the uh, potential replacement of andrea pizzitola with alex imperatore than i would have by putting a bronze driver in lmp1 because that that if anything weakens the driving lineup whereas a platinum and two golds is a definite strengthening of the lineup. On, on the Henrik Hedman point, and it's a perfectly fair point to raise, I'd I just say this. I think that regulation is rather out of time. And why? Well, because Henrik has been driving the LMP2 cars, um, you know, not with abs, uh, without abs, uh, absolute incident, but certainly pretty competently over the last couple of seasons. And those cars are now, in terms of lap time, as capable as the non-hybrid LMP1 cars back in 2012. The kind of times we're seeing in professional hands of those cars. So it's a, it's a, I think it needs to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis. That one, particularly, I don't think it's the same as the other two. No. Well, as I say, you know, happily, as an opposing team, you'd yeah. happily see a platinum replaced by a bronze. Oh, yeah. Purely because they can't drive it as quickly as a platinum driver. But to, to see a silver replaced by a gold is a different story. And, and the P3 example for DKR Engineering uh, in ELMS is a strange one, too. Uh, and uh, many other teams are voicing their, well, not even concerns, um, st- stronger words than that. Uh, yes, very strong words. Uh, still red flag debris on track at P31. I'm just having a look to see whether or not the 56 cars made it back yet 
Uh, well, we've nearly had the first hour, by the way, of uh, eight that are planned today. Anthony Davidson has returned to the pit lane. And in doing so... Now, why does the timing screen tell me that Davidson did two absolute best sectors on his way into uh, because the Because Because the red flag. Because at the end of his um, stint, it will show you his best sector times. Oh, right. OK. Yeah. Oh, that's it's, good. It's an oddity this year that I've not seen before. Maybe Paul can help us with that one. Interesting. Well, that might be useful, just as long as I know the timing screen is going to do that and how to read it correctly. Um, so, at the moment, Anthony Davidson is in the pit lane, but it's displaying a 31.9 through Sector 1, a 77.8 through Sector 2, which is an absolute best Sector 2 time, and a 92.6. And that appears to be an in-lap, or, or any other timing screen previously at Le Mans. That would be an in-lap, but it clearly is not. It's not. Uh, and therefore gives us information, perhaps, on uh, yeah that, that driver's stint. And the best times that it, that uh, he has achieved through it. Um, but, uh, 1.7 seconds slower, by the way. Jose Maria Lopez, uh, although that won't be his time because he's only just stepped into the seven car. Right. Cars on track may pick up the pace, uh, we've been told from race control. That indicates to me that the debris has been sorted and that once all the cars have reached the pit lane, that will be released again. Yes, so may pick up pace because we still have cars circulating, believe it or not. We do have a number of cars circulating. Uh, but it is an eight and a half mile lap. And yeah. once you throw the red flag, you can't do anything like 80 kilometres per hour, as you would be permitted to do through a sl uh, slow zone. It is walking speed very nearly to get your car back to the pit lane. And that's the reason why, even though this red flag has been now out for, well, a good five minutes, as an estimate. Just uh, picking up a quick question before I forget it, because uh, I've forgotten it twice already. Uh, right, so another earlier in the session. Hello, fella. Uh, as we can move past, by the way, the first hour here of the first of two four-hour sessions in uh, about 40 seconds' time, asking whether or not the GTE Pro cars, the 488 GTEs, will be running to the Evo specification. The answer is yes. Not quite as designed, because in the balanced performance uh, testing they had some elements at the front of the car removed, so they've not got the downforce that was intended at the front of uh, the Evo cars. If you are here and uh, walking down pit lane, as of course you can at various times of the week for race week, you'll recognise those with a very different look to the lower, uh, it's the outer edge of the splitter, uh, you'll see the difference there between that and the older cars as run by GMW, uh, by MR Racing, uh, by the Clearwater Racing guys uh, look very, very similar, but there are more than subtle differences. Did you know about that on the timing screen, Paul, about uh, this adjustment for 2018? Uh, uh, no, I didn't. And bear in mind that I'm not looking at the same timing screen that you're looking at. Um, so you could don't you just have give that. Because I don't have that, no. Uh, tell me what the sector times you were just shown were for Anthony Davidson. It's 31.916, which is not shown as an ultimate best. 77.802, which is. And 92.696, which is. Yes, yeah, so those are his best sector times for that car. Yep. That is not the uh, sector times for his last lap. Uh, should tell you, by the way, I, I'm looking at one of those CCTV cameras that uh, as a marshal just inspecting some damage to the banding uh, that is securing the tyre wall. So I don't think we're quite ready to go back to green yet. And there are tyre marks that one can only presume came from the 56. Yeah. That car's been the wall. Yeah. I would agree with that. The, 
the messages I have about the 56 was, first of all, that it was slow on the track uh, just after the Dunlop chicane at the Forest S's. Um, and then it had messages coming up that it was slow on the track all the way around. Uh, there was a floppy or a floopy uh, on the track at the Dunlop bridge. Uh, and there was also debris on the track at the Ford chicane. So right. it may well have been that they just threw the red flag because of multiple uh, circuit issues, and now they're having a bit of a circuit inspection. Yeah. Part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels, this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans on 91.2 FM, around the circuit and around the world on RS1 via the RSL player on www.radiolemon.com. We're live from trackside at Circuit de la Sarte for the annual test day two weeks before the big race itself, the 86th running of the Le Mans 24 hours. And it is Graham Goodwin and Johnny Palmer overlooking things on the main straight in the commentary booth and Joe Bradley down in pit lane getting stories that emerge. And the latest of those stories is what sounds like a, quite a big incident for the number 56 Project One Porsche, which has clattered the tyre barrier. So remind me, Graham, where that is on the circuit because... Uh, I'm just looking, see, see if I can work that out. I think that may be second chicane. OK, Post 31 was listed as having and then 30, debris. And 35 as well. A green flag, green flag now. Down. And the 35, OK. So it was uh, in that sort of area, and the marshals are still out on track, just making sure that the tyre barrier has been fixed appropriately in I radio think, contact. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. Actually taking a picture of that mm. damage uh, to send to race control, I'm sure. So uh, cars now are permitted to rejoin the session and we have another three hours to go for this morning part of it. Joe. Yeah, good news is that uh, it's Ollie Rowland who's at the wheel of the number six, Janetta. He's got wheels and tyres on, Michelin tyres on the car for the first time this morning. We're hopefully going to see that car have its first run in the session. And uh, even though we had the, the, uh, the track was stopped there with a the red flag, we had a queue pretty much immediately forming up. Everyone wanted to get onto this. Now you would think four hours, you've got enough time there to go round and round and do what you have to do. But nah, this is Le Mans. And Le Mans, well, the thing that Le Mans does, it just eats away at the clock. The clock, it's like it's on fast forward. It's not a conventional lap, it's a long lap. So that clock just ebbs away from you. And before you know it, you've run out of time to take off any more boxes on the job list. Paul, you gave me a list a little while ago uh, via a Skype conversation we have going of cars that haven't yet joined the session. I realise now that that might be slightly out of date. So can you give us a, a rundown of the car numbers that haven't yet appeared in test so far? Yes, yes, five and six. We've uh, just been hearing about those. The two CEFC Managinettas, uh, 26 and 28, uh, which is 26 is the G-Drive Orica and 28 is the TDS car, uh, the TDS racing car. Uh, and also from LMP2, we haven't seen the number 34 uh, one of the four Jackie Chan DC racing cars. This uh, I'll call it the uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen car, but also Ricky Taylor and Combe Ladoga uh, driving in that car, although Combe's one of the drivers who was uh, down in Paul Ricard last night. Um, and then in GTE Am, neither number 85 nor number 90 have been out. 85 being the Keating Motorsport Ferrari and number 90, the TF Motorsport Aston Martin hasn't yet been seen. And the other 
one I'm concerned about is the number three rebellion, uh, which did one out and in lap, but has yet to do another lap since then. Um, so slight concern over that car, the number one car, as we've said. Oh, no, the three has been out again since. They take it back. Don't need to worry about the three anymore. Um, but uh, the number one car certainly has been out and has been very quick. And mm. it is the number one rebellion, which has the um, is, is the reason, if you will, why Anthony Davidson wasn't quickest in sector one, because number one is the car that has the outright fastest time so far through sector one. I can add a bit of detail. The uh, the uh, 26 and the 28 are both the TDS run cars, Paul, of course. They, there are two G-Drive uh, liveried cars here, but they're run by different teams. That's not going to be confusing at all, is it? The number 40 car by Graf Racing, the 26 by TDS Racing, and the 28 car is the other TDS car. So that would seem to be, not quite sure why, but strategic. At least two of the others uh, will be because the drivers aren't here yet. So the 85 car... Uh, those drivers en route from the United States as we speak. And it was the 34 car, wasn't it? Was it the 33? Uh, where come Redegar, you're quite right, en route from Paul Rickard. The other two drivers, Ricky Taylor and David Heimer Hansen, raced yesterday in Detroit. Right. Which is slightly uh, further away from Le Mans than, uh, than <laughs> Paul Rickard, let's say. Uh, the other, just this, um, going back to what we were hearing from Joe again about the uh, Ginetta, the uh, numbers five and six cars, um, the other issue for them is that three of their six drivers uh, have to do the ten laps. Um, and with an hour of the eight hours already having ticked away, um, as, uh, as Joe was saying, that, that the time does fly, back, fly away quite easily. Charlie Roberts and Mike Simpson are two of the drivers who aren't qualified, who aren't experienced, and Ollie Rowland is the third one so between them they will have to do 10 laps or they each have to do 10 laps each and five of those laps have to be flying laps so the um the regulation is quite specific uh, yes you can do 10 laps but only five of them uh, can be out and in laps the other five laps have to be flying laps starting and finishing across the start finish line not in the pit lane so lots of work to do and work of an important nature. We'll be keeping an eye on progress for the number five, the number six. Pride of Yorkshire. Yes, yes. Um, just as I stared out further down the timing screen, I've noticed all of a sudden the Fords have made an impact in GTE Pro and then some. We have four Ford GTs here this year, two from the UK and two from the USA, two separate arms of Ford Chip Ganassi team. And uh, yeah, four in the top five now, as far as times are concerned. So Andy Prio now driving the number 67 Ford GT. That car's done a 355.139 and may well be Andy's time. Uh, Kevin Estra was already there in the number 92 car. He was top for a little while, but now down a second, 355.9 for the Frenchman. And then three more Ford GTs. Billy Johnson's number 66, Dirk Muller in the 68 and Richard Westbrook in the 69 and the times 356.3, 356.3 and 357.1. Yeah, meantime, some dramas out on track for the number 32 United Autosports Ligier. Will Owen in the car and uh, set to be joined later and another driver en route uh, by Juan Pablo Montoya aboard that car. Slow at the Porsche curves now with a puncture for that car. Okay, so that's going to work its way back very gingerly indeed because the last thing you want is a puncture that uh, then becomes a flailing tyre and starts to uh, take chunks of the bodywork away with it so early on in the test day, although so much bodywork these days is modular and it's actually very easy to repair some damage, assuming you've got the parts, of course. 
That car then uh, may well, if you're here at the circuit, Circuit de la Sartre, and listening to Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM, you may well see that car come by uh, the cart track and then towards the uh, tricky left-hander that then, after a straight, leads into the double chicane, the forward chicane, left, right, left, right, and back onto the main straight. But it won't take the chicane, of course. The pit lane entry is just before that to driver's right and a rather narrow inroad to the pit lane, which is nice and wide once you reach it. So that car labelled as stopped on the circuit. In fact, it's limping home. The number 32 United Autosports car and has made the pits now. You know, just watching as that car comes by, United Autosports almost at pit out, actually. Yes. In the well, well first uh, time I've said these words, the Granny Annex. <laughs> and, uh, so are we looking for a rear left puncture, did we think? I didn't say. So no, it didn't. Say, but it is a rear right puncture. Rear right. Okay. And uh, Will Owen has done a fine job in bringing that back with remarkably little damage. Uh, the carcass of the tyre still on the rim. Yeah. It's a, it's a good moment to actually say that uh, I think we're looking forward to hear to what might end up being, as by the way, also into pit lane comes the 56 car. Now, no sign of damage on that car. That's interesting. This is the car that we were talking about maybe glancing the wall yep. in the area of the second chicane. The it's had a further drama. It's been slow on track at MP34. Yes, well, it did go out um, after the um, after the red flag when or when it went green again. So uh, Jörg Bergmaster did take it out and bring it straight back in again. Interesting. So slow at uh, post 34, which is again similar sort of area as to where the uh, the debris was, uh, 31 and 35. So I'm not sure whether the two issues are related. Uh, watching progress in LMP1, we've now got six LMP1 cars at the top of Tumbingen scoring, five of which are sub 3.30 so far, obviously at 3.22.8, uh, the quickest time, that was Ant Davidson uh, a little earlier in the session, uh, but uh, latest to the party is Igor Rajev in the number 17 SMP racing car, the only one of the two at the moment to be troubling the top of the timing screens, so it is the two Toyotas. 322, 324, then a 325-1 from Neil Yanni in the number one rebellion. Then it's Ollie Webb, now aboard the Bicolors Racing Team. The 328, I think, was Tom Dillman's time a little earlier in the session. Mm-hmm. SMP Racing with a 329-8 and then a 330.7 for the second rebellion number three. And in LMP2, Hidek Sport in the number 48 car uh, are so far fastest. Hidek are here with an Orica 07. Uh, Paul Lafargue, Paul Chata, and Memo Rojas, who is uh, the joint or the co-ELMS champion from 2017, sharing that title with Leo Russell after they won uh, the championship last year in Portimao at the end of the season. So Rojas, part of the EDEC Sport entry. Leo Russell is driving an LMP1 this year in the Ginetta crew, so the CEFC TRSM racing squad joining Mike Simpson and uh, Charlie Robertson. Leo Russell, that's quite a big responsibility on a young man's shoulders, but uh, going to be fascinating to see how the Parisian gets on. It will indeed. Further troubles up by the way on track. Car 48, which is that uh, quickest car in P2, the EDEC Sport car in the hands of Paul Lafargue at the moment. Slow on track, approaching the second chicane. I wonder whether or not we've got a little bit of debris that might still be there. Yeah, yeah, possibly, and uh, therefore people taking it easy. Bit of punctures. Past that sort of oh, area. She's more thinking punct- that's that's at least one puncture and another car slow in about the same part of the track. Yes, 
so maybe not a full deflation but a slow puncture for the 56 car and now drama potentially for Paul Lafargue in the fastest LMP2 car just not on this lap Andre Negrau driving for Signatech Alpine Matmut the Alpine A470 although it's an Orica beneath that skin and the 36 car is second fastest it's Roberto Lacorte for Cetela Villorba Corsa who uh, is third fastest the number 47 car uh, and therefore we have Orica, Alpine, Delara and Ligier all represented in the top four times so far. And a quicker time last time around. Sorry, Paul, from Neil Janney. Uh, 3.25.1.3.2 from the Rebellion driver. So well in touch with the second of the Totus. Sorry, I talked across you, Paul. Not a problem. Just to uh, mention on that Jani time whilst you were talking about it, uh, he was slower in Sector 1 than he had been. So uh, theoretically, that could be even quicker from uh, the Rebellion to the tune of about a second. So uh, wow. uh, um, the, uh, the the best sector time that Jani has done in Sector 1, a 321, uh, sorry, a 31.8 seconds. And his time through Sector 1 in that quick lap was a 32.3 seconds. And so the other thing I wanted to say was uh, just quickly, other cars I mentioned a moment ago who we haven't seen uh, have all now been out since the uh, track went green again following that brief red flag. The only one now that we haven't seen is the number five FC Meta. Okay, we've got uh, further improvement in time from Igor Arujev for 3.28.717, still stays fifth. And also out on track now, Thomas Laurent in the number three rebellion, sixth quickest at the moment for that car. But uh, Thomas is going quicker. And uh, just as you say it, Paul, Neil Gianni puts in the fastest first sector of the session. Could we get, by the end of this lap, if things stay together for the number one, uh, a rebellion split, split in the Toyotas? That would be a bit of fun in the morning. It would. It? it certainly would. And uh, there's a fair old chunk between them at the moment. 1.7 seconds. So easily you could wedge a rebellion between the two of them. Uh, the difficulty is whether the rebellion is quick now down the straight because it's certainly it's... quick through that first sector. But I reckon the Toyota will probably do it for straight line pace. Uh, probably not, actually, because I reckon that uh, the rebellion will be able to maintain its pace down the uh, down the Mulsanne Strait better than the Toyotas can. This is part of the reason why uh, the equivalence of technology has been tweaked slightly for Le Mans because of the Mulsanne Strait. Because the Rebellion, as we saw last year when it was a P2 car, uh, was able to go faster than the P1s by the end of the straight. Um, but now being a P1 car, um, I think we, we could well see uh, the P1 getting and mixing it amongst the uh, the Toyotas at this stage when the track is still fairly green. Um, and don't forget, um, and we've kind of strayed away from EOT, but the equivalence of technology regulations for the test have handicapped the non-hybrids a little bit more than they will be handicapped for the race themselves. For the race itself, the non-hybrids will get a little bit more fuel than they've got at the moment. I uh, should say, actually, on that uh, front, on the uh, straight line speed pole, speed traps at the moment showing terminal velocity for the number eight car at 310 kilometres now. That's the quickest car uh, on lap time so far, the third quickest, and that is in the hands still of Neil Johnny, 3.26. And indeed, he goes through in a 3.24.910, not quite as quick as the second of the Totas, but it is just tenths. It's, what, two, three tenths second uh, slower. And by the way, the terminal velocity for both the Rebellions and the number 17 
uh, S&P Racing, identical at 326.8 as the second rebellion goes fourth quickest. No, it goes no, third quickest. Goes third. It goes third quickest. It wasn't. Yeah, it's uh, Laurent that's gone through. It and was. Gone even it was faster Laurent, than, not Gianni. than the sister car. Yanni's not actually appeared yet uh, at the end of this lap, but Gianni due through at any moment, and Thomas Laurent going even faster than his previous effort now through sector one. So this is. Uh, Happy hour, if you like, for the two rebellions. I think they're going for full-on speed here for both drivers, Tom Laurent and Neil Jarney in the three and the one, respectively. Remember, this is the first time we've seen their low-drag uh, kit on the cars, in public at least, and it does, at the moment, there's still work to be done. That's still not what I would call a representative ultimate time, as the one comes through now, and Neil Jarney goes through just, uh, what, half a tenth quicker that are on. So it's a 3.22.5. It's the second quickest car, the second of the, the totas, uh, now in the pits, number seven car. Neil Janney then, a 3.24.8. It is two tenths slower, three tenths slower, apologies, than the second of the totas with Thomas Laurent, uh, well, uh, almost identical time. Uh, so 3.24.8, 3.24.9 for the pair of Rebellion racing cars. This is getting a bit exciting isn't it it is for a test day for a test morning yes certainly and uh, you can tell when teams are just starting to push for performance rather than necessarily reliability should say as well the uh, first sector time for the first of the SMP racing cars at the top of the timing screen sixth quickest at the moment for Rudjev all but a thousandth of a second matching that first sector from Thomas Laurent so the SMP car are now going much quicker so this is beginning to get quite interesting. 78.5 is uh, even quicker for Tom Alaron through the middle sector. Still needs to find about six tenths, though, on the uh, aggregate Toyota middle sector because the Toyota is going to get through that sector in different ways it finds its torque early in the rev range because of the hybrid power and then sort of runs out of top speed if you like whereas the uh, rebellion takes longer to get there but ultimately can get to a faster speed down the straights and it is very interesting to see that the two cars behaving differently in that way but achieving uh, well sector times that are mere six tenths apart uh, an absolute sector two time now for uh, Davidson, so he's going quicker too, almost in response to the rebellions. Yeah, remember, and will not be racing, well, we don't think he will be, certainly without dramas for any of the other drivers uh, at the Le Mans 24 hours. He will, though, be joining the FI World Endurance Championship after this race as part of the Dragon Speed set of their P2 car. Uh, that is a pretty mouth-watering prospect. Looking at these sector times and the trap speeds, I mean, Paul, if you're, you're with us, could be a very interesting first lap, couldn't it? Uh, I think the first out, well, the first stint, because the first stint is only going to be about 35 minutes. But, uh, yeah, the first stint is going to be very interesting. Um, and I think what also will be interesting um, is going to be to what extent um, Toyota push in the early stages of the race, because um, I, I think they will be quite happy to let the Rebellions lead the, uh, lead the race on pace but then use the other advantages that they've got we've already alluded to the uh, the longer stint times and the shorter pit stop times um which will kind of bring the race to them without the toyotas necessarily having to push hard on pace and i think you'll see um the toyotas allowing the rebellions to to use their pace but, and, and not just the rebellions because the bike hollis is there as well uh, and any of the other non-hybrid privateer p1 cars uh, have the potential to do that pace um 
and not to worry about it until it uh, gets light again on Sunday morning, I think. It's going to be a fascinating week at the Le Mans 24 hours in a fortnight's time, and it's already proving to be fascinating here. Just wonder uh, whether or not we're going to see a slightly different tone to some of the debate about uh, equivalence of technology. Let's wait and see. But, uh, we are an hour and 21 minutes into this first four-hour session, so that means two hours and 39 minutes remain. Toyota from Toyota. The other two rebellions, SMP Racing's uh, Igor Rudyev just uh, edges up into fifth quickest position with a 3.27.874 as I speak. It's a rather quicker time from the number 17 car. Yet to see anywhere close to the top of timing and scoring either of the Ginettas. The, uh, the six car has uh, been on. An, is it just an uh, out and in? Joe Bradley might know. Or Paul. Indeed. Uh, we, let's see if we can hear from Joe. Yes, guys, what was the question? I've just been in, in conversation, which I'll brief you about when I come back up there in the break. But, uh, well, not uh, the broadcast. No, fair, fair that's enough. The, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the benefit of being down here and amongst it, because you hear things that you shouldn't really hear. <laughs> and I'm not just eavesdropping, I'm actually being told stuff. Right, you know what, what were you asking? Is but the number 11 secret. Uh, the six cars, not yet, so is it just, just an out and in lap, correct? The what? Sorry, Graham, six. it's really loud here. The number six. All right, I'm not sure, but I'll check that out. And what I can tell you is Jensen Button is still at the wheel of the number 11 uh, BR Engineering car. He sat um, in the garage up on the jacks. Wheels are on. Ah, just taking the wheels off now. And maybe, ah, brand new set of, brand new set of Michelin slicks were put on the car. The slicks have gone off the car. It's a set. It's on the setup bed now. They're going to do a, a setup, a flatbed setup change. Now, whether this is a ride height change of sorts, so they want to check the, uh, the the balance of the car weight-wise, front to back. That's usually why you would put it on the scales. Um, but we're about to go on the scales on the number 11. So Jensen, he hasn't changed, has he? He still wanted to tweak hmm. and test things and, and try things. Yeah. Uh, on the sixth, by the way, I can tell you that uh, Oliver Rowland has had two, uh, two in, uh, sorry, out and in laps. I think maybe he's about to come through and complete a flying lap. Yes, he's out on the circuit at the moment, Graham. Uh, so yes, he's done an, an out in and he's now on an out lap, um, but coming just through Arnage at the moment, according to my little bouncing uh, ball map. Very good. And that's done on GPS, isn't it, rather than predicted times that the car it's, is expected uh, through? Uh, this this technology is still using predicted, I'm afraid. Because, oh, right. okay. uh, but the, the technology uh, is available the, to the ACO as far as GPS is concerned, is the point that you made earlier on. Yes, it's the Alcamel Premium Service, which uh, provides GPS signal signalling. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Uh, Live from Trackside at the Circuit de la Sartre, this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels around the circuit and around the world on RS1 via the RSL player on RadioLeMans.com. And don't forget, when we get to lunchtime here at La Sartre, which is one o'clock, the lunch break will feature an exclusive chat with 2003 Le Mans winner Guy Smith, who has recently announced his retirement from professional racing. John Hindoff sat down with Guy at Silverstone as the Bentley boy was preparing for his last race for the British brand. The long one with Guy Smith between the track sessions today, only here on Mobile One Radio Le Mans, either via RS1 or the FM frequency here around the track 91.2. 
and we do have a flying lap time for the first of Janetta's. Oliver Rowland goes through. It's not a particularly sparkling one yet, but it's a 340.260. Puts him in the midst of the P2 pack for now. So, Davidson still circulating and trying to go quicker because the 32.5 he's just done through the middle the first sector is uh, certainly not lacking any speed but even quicker now Thomas Laurent a 31.5 so we have got a rebellion now wedged between the two Toyotas can Laurent go even quicker uh, he's got about 1.6 seconds to find so that's going to be tough but that first sector is very impressive from the Gibson-powered Rebellion, car number three. And that's the uh, the young uh, entry, if you like, the youngsters coming through. 20-year-old Tom Alaral, 23-year-old Gustavo Menezes, and Matthias Besch, who was busy racing at Imola uh, last weekend in a touring car, but uh, still focused on this year's Le Mans 24 hours in a far faster machine with full downforce, the LMP1 non-hybrid from Rebellion Racing. So, yes, Toyota, Rebellion Toyota. Still in a relatively early running here. Coming towards the 90-minute mark in just four minutes' time. But uh, Thomas Laurent clearly enjoying himself out there right now. Oliver Roland going quicker again this time in the number six Janetta, the CFC TRSM racing car. Plenty of activity. Um, and we shouldn't just focus on LMP1 either because P2, uh, there are 20 cars, remember, and this is potentially going to be very close all the way through the race. Less about reliability than it is about uh, um, performance, I would say. Uh, Thomas Laurent has just gone through in a 3.22.919. That is just over a tenth of a second back from the time set by Ant Davidson. That was a 3.22.929, ultimately fastest in the first and third sectors for the number three Rebellion with the 4.5-litre GL458 Gibson engine. Fantastic stuff. This is beginning to hot up. I'm enjoying this. It's not just beginning. It's been doing this for about 15 minutes, Graham, and uh, it continues, I would say. Paul? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking in that tenth of a second gap is uh, there'll be people on the uh, on the endurance committee technical panel who are kind of going, yeah, that's just about what we need. Um, because the objective was that the Toyota would have around about half a second of an advantage. Now, it's clear that nobody has actually been um, putting in um, ultimate lap times. But I think Thomas Leroy is probably close to uh, going as fast as that rebellion can go on the track conditions as they are as we've been saying there's still quite a lot of uh, debris to get cleared off the track to uh, to be able to set the ultimate lap time i'll be expecting i don't know what your thoughts are Greg, but uh, towards the end of the session depending on what happens with the rain that uh, may be coming uh, to be under the 320s by the end of the session down into the 318s 319s by the end of this day you'd like to think so wouldn't you you'd like to think we can actually see some of the uh, some of the, the pace coming. And I just wonder whether or not one of those people showing some pace is a man standing next to Joe Bradley right now. Uh, who you got with you, Joe? Yeah, Jensen Buttons, uh, Lamont debut and Radio Lamont debut. Jensen, it's great to have you here. Uh, there's going to be a lot of British fans that are going to be ecstatic and waving. That, that sea of 
grandstand is going to be awash with Union Jacks. Uh, how are you feeling? First run in the car, first run of the circuit. Yeah, well, first of all, it's awesome to be here, you know. it's. Uh, I think it's on every racing driver's bucket list to come and race at Le Mans, so very excited. Um, I haven't actually run yet. I've just done an ins two installation lads because we've got a sensor issue, which is uh, a little bit frustrating, but this thing happen these things happen, and hopefully we can get the issue out of the way today. Um, and then we can go ahead and do some running. But um, no, I'm itching to get out there. Did you get a feel for the configuration of the circuit here? Not really. The whole time I'm looking down at the steering wheel doing uh, uh, checks and constant speeds and things. So, I mean, it's obviously madness driving down the streets in an LMP car, you know. Um, but um, it's awesome. So I look forward to actually driving the circuit in anger, hopefully, in a little while. I think we always knew you would take the endurance racing, as you have. Uh, you've been having a great time in uh, Japanese GT. Yeah, Super GT has been been a lot of fun. It's been a massive learning curve for me because it's completely different to what I'm used to. You know, it's a lot of weight, uh, very different to an F1 car. But um, we're leading the championships at the moment in Super GT, so that's going well. You know, my teammates doing a great job, which is helpful. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's always fun to try different things, and that's the whole thing about being a racing driver. We're always here to learn and uh, um, try new things. You know, it's not just about I'm not, you know, I'm not just an F1 driver. I'm, I'm a driver that wants to succeed and uh, be competitive in other forms of motorsport. Great to have you, gents, and uh, talk to you later when you've had a proper run. Thanks, gents, up there, guys. Yeah, three laps of his ten that he needs to do today. But uh, regardless of whether they're, they're going around monitoring a sensor or they are in anger, they all count. No, they don't. As Paul no. said, I think. Get, uh, right. Am I right, Paul? That you've got to have. Is it six at pace? Uh, no, five. Five at pace. Yes. Yeah, so oh, so those three will count, but he needs to yes. do five that are yes. as quick as he can, or theoretically as quick as they can. Um, they have to start and finish on the start-finish line rather than in the pit lane. Uh, right. So they are flying laps rather than uh, out and in laps. Correct. Uh, into the pits comes Thomas Laurent. Uh, he, is to, he finishes his stint just a tenth of a second off. Uh, and Davidson, but Davidson is on a pretty quick lap now Yes. in the number eight Toyota. Due across the line in a few moments' time. 322.929 then is the mark for the non-hybrid cars. 322.8 at the moment, the best for the hybrids. Uh, improvement, by the way, Oliver Rowland is eking up the timing screens, the number six cars and the 336. So finally some time. As the 17 SP racing car goes through, and he improves a 325.684. 2.8 seconds, by the way, separate the top five. Uh, then we've got a little further back with Ollie Webb, who's had a short run in the number four car. The fastest time of the, the uh, Bicolis session set early in the running this morning as Ollie Rowland crosses the line now. No improvement that time for the number six car, uh, but uh, we're set by Tom Dillman in the Bicolis car. And we've had another half an hour of testing for the annual test day. You're listening to the Radio Show Limited network of channel, uh, channels. We're live from trackside at Circuit de la Sarte. This is Mobile One, Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. And uh, with it being on the half hour, best for me to get uh, practised as far as is concerned uh, when we head to race week. But we're going to do exactly the same as we do during race week and the race itself with an hourly update. And this year... 
Uh, our hourly updates come to you from the Silverstone circuit. And remember, Silverstone is the only place you can see Le Mans-type cars in the UK, the current spec of Le Mans-type cars in the UK in 2018, across the weekend of the 17th, the 18th and the 19th of August for the six hours of Silverstone this year which will be the next round, actually, after the 24 hours of Le Mans. So middle of August is the 17th, 18th and 19th of August, the Silverstone meeting. And uh, it is looking like, again, all change at the top of the order because the number eight car is back out again now with Fernando Alonso at the wheel. But that car has done a 3 minutes 22.811 and Fernando's first action now at the wheel of that car. Thomas Laurent in the number three car is currently in the pits, but that car has done a second fastest time a 322.929 third fastest the number seven toyota gazoo racing tso 50 kazna uh kobayashi rather now doing the driving in the seven car it's previously done a 324.5 neil jarney also for rebellion racing is currently in the pits but the number one car has done a 324.865 fifth fastest the number 17 smp racing car driven by yegor rudchev now 325.6 and the number four car, the Baikolis Racing Team, entered Enso CLM, last driven by Oliver Webb, but that car's in the pit, has done a 328.415. The top three in the other classes, 26 now, fastest of the LMP2 cars. The G-Drive Racing entered uh, Orica, Alex Imperatori, uh, now driving it, but the car's done a 330.178. Second fastest, the number 48, Edex Sport Orica, 330.877. And, and uh, third fastest in LMP2, the 39 car, also an Orica, from Graf SO24, a 331.341. GTE Pro, the fastest car is number 67, although that's in the pits, a 354.4. Faster than the sister car, number 68, a 354.6. It's a Chevrolet Corvette, third fastest, number 63. Uh, Chevy Corvette now driven by Tonio Garcia. And a 355.014 is the best time that that car has offered. And do we have the ability to change channels on this screen, Graham? Excellent. If I press that, then the GTE AM top three, 61 is fastest. Uh, Mokweng Sun now driving the Clearwater Racing Ferrari. I'm going to guess Matt that's Griffin. a Matt Griffin that's time, Matt Griffin, though. Right. Yeah. A 358.569. Second fastest in GTE Am, uh, number 88. Giorgio Roda now driving that Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche, 359.806. And third fastest for the Gulf Racing Porsche, 359.909. Although that car is currently in the pits, number 86. Ben Barker was the last to drive it. That is the latest Silverstone Circuit hourly update and we will keep you in tune of course with the times over the next hour but the next official update will be at uh, 11.30 uh, Central European time uh, we have got yellows at uh, Marshall Post 20 and there is going to be a slow zone coming there for whatever has occurred uh, in about 30 seconds time further improvement Post by the 20 way is Indianapolis Indianapolis oh dear Okay, Oliver Rowland, 334 now, continues to make progress up through the order. Now getting in towards the upper echelon of the LMP2 crews as the Janetta begins to find uh, find pace. 
Um, and just for those that are unfamiliar with the track, still getting used to it, Indianapolis is the 90-degree left-hander, um, which is slightly banked, and uh, part of the reason why it's called Indianapolis, I believe. But it used to be, used to be right bricked under. as well, I think. Um, right it was because it was because it was bricked that it was called Indianapolis, not there you because go. it was banked. So therefore paved. And is it? Um, the, so the right-hand kink is Indianapolis, or the left-hander is Indianapolis? Left. Left, I thought so. So it's a 90-degree left, and it's before the right-hander at Arnars, the 90-degree right, but the left-hander with the big gravel trap on the outside is the corner at Indianapolis. Ryan Briscoe is now with Joe. Yeah, we're just being shuffled round as the 69 is about to be pushed out of the garage. Gives a, an opportunity to speak to Ryan. Ryan, back at Le Mans again. What's Testy all about, though? What are you guys actually trying to do out there? What are you finding? Um, you know, it's, it's great to be back. Thanks. Uh, I guess the, the big thing is just getting track time. You know, it's uh, it's our only chance before race week to uh, take the cars to the track, um, just get used to it, you know, as a driver, and then try some setup changes. Um, big difference with the car being exactly the same as last year, the big difference is the tyres. We've got all new tyre compounds this year from Michelin. So it's an opportunity for us to get out there uh, test the different tyre compounds today. We might try to do a couple of long runs today. Uh, see how they last, see if double stinting's an option. Um, Ryan, is that in response to the new pit stop regulations? The, the new tyres, is that a response to that? And the, the, There's no necessity now to... Uh, to you can change tyres every pit stop. We, we, we can put tyres on while we refuel. Yes, uh, but I think we're also limited on tyre allocation. So we don't... We don't have enough tyres to just put them on every single pit stop in the race. So um, so double stinting will actually be necessary still, even though there's no performance gain from it like we have had in previous years. So there's no tactical advantage in saving time on changing tyres anymore? No, exactly. I mean, in the past, there was actually lap time difference, you know, by, uh, by double stinting, you'd save time in the tyre change. Um, but yeah, so we'll be testing that today. Um, we'll try to get through some setup changes as well. Um, but yeah, we've got great weather. Um, lots of fans out here, so it's, it's great to be here again. Yeah, and have, have you been in the car yet? No, not yet. Uh, it's just myself and Westbrook in the 69 car today. Dixon's in Detroit racing uh, Indy cars. So Westbrook. His dear job, Ryan. Yeah, exactly. And he won yesterday. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, he won the Indy race. Yeah, he yeah. won the first race and. Uh, see if he can get another win today in uh, in the second IndyCar race. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some laps today. Yeah, I bet you are. You're, you're caged tiger at the moment. Uh, are you guys just splitting this session two hours, two hours? Um, we always have a plan going in, and then it never goes to plan. So I've got my suit on. I've got my helmet out here. And uh, I, know, I expect Rick probably to do another one or two runs here, and I'll get in before lunch, hopefully. Thanks for talking to us, Rain. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. Uh, good stuff there, Joe Bradley. That's a couple of problems, I think, at the moment. The number 22 car has been slow on track. That's in the hands of Wayne Boyd. It's the one of the two United Autosports uh, Ligiers. And also in the gravel, but I think now removed, is the 25 Algar Pro car. And that is Atidot de Jong uh, in the Algar Pro Ligier. That car in 25th position overall, 25th fastest rather overall, 18th fastest of the 20 car uh, LMP2. And that does mean there's a slow zone, Graham. Did you say that? Uh, I, I said there was a slow zone earlier, and I'm presuming that's why. Because uh, yes, that looked to me to be Mulzan Corner, not Indianapolis. 
Uh, it is. Yes. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, no, no, I agree that they, um, they've confused me by now talking about Marshall Posts, um, which, uh, yeah, Marshall Post 17 is Mulsanne Corner, you're right. Yeah, he was in the gravel at the exit, yeah. And it's and now gone green. That's and he's now rejoining, yeah. in fact. He's now rejoining what I can see from CCTV. Well, he's going around the roundabout, he which is. is what conventional traffic would do, and in the same direction as conventional traffic would do. And now, oh, give way, and then, yeah, back onto the main road it goes. And away we go. Next yeah. slow is now removed. Slow zone is we're back to full green flag running. So that's good news. And you don't often have a small moment into that corner at Mulsanne but it looks like the car is unskirmished and has rejoined the session. Uh, so whilst we had Joe there talking with Ryan Briscoe about Scott Dixon not being here, can tell you that uh, drivers from Paul Ricard and indeed from Detroit are now here. Uh, David Heimer Hansen amongst them, and he's out on track at the moment. So in fact, he's now in the pit lane in the 34 Jackie Chandisi Racing. Mathieu Vazivier is aboard the number 28 TDS racing car. He's been uh, herring up the order he sits at the moment fourth quickest in that car and he's back on pit lane as well so uh, he was uh, forming part of the aston martin effort the r sport efforts uh, the six hour race into uh, full darkness finished just before midnight last night uh, way south of us here at paul rickard and uh, meantime looks like the imsa crew have arrived and we should see those cars that had been delayed to their start to the track uh, soon on track Live from Trackside at Circuit de la Sarte, this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Just the first bit of broadcasting that we're going to be doing from this part of the world over a hectic couple of weeks. We will be back on the air from this venue during race week, of course, with reports and interviews from the two days of scrutineering and live uninterrupted coverage of every moment of track action together with exclusive features, interviews and analysis. Plus, there's a special edition of Midweek Motorsport on Wednesday of race week, the now traditional midday motorsport, starting at noon, as the name would suggest, and that'll get you up to date with all of the news from the world's greatest race. No blocks, no breaks, no fees. Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM around the track and around the world on RS1. It is 10.42 here in France, and there are two hours and 17 minutes to go of the first chunk of testing, a testing session throughout the course of today, split into two with an hour's break in between from one till two o'clock. And already things, well, the LMP1 field uh, is drawing our attention, certainly purely because of the jostling for position between Toyota Gazoo Racing and Rebellion Racing at this early stage of the day. LMP2 has changed very slightly with Edex Sport setting the pace, but now G-Drive Racing are quickest, and quickest by the by seven tenths of a second now. 26 from 48. Third fastest the 39 car and fourth fastest the 28 in LMP2. So that's one of the graph cars, number 39, uh, last driven by Vincent Capillaire. And Mathieu Vazivier was the last to be at the wheel of the TDS Racing Orica. It is now all Oricas, though, that are setting the speeds in LMP2. We had a nice mixture of chassis manufacturers only about half an hour or so ago. But is that a sign of things to come, do you think? Orica 07 is being strong? I hope not. Uh, I hope we've seen the gap uh, change. But uh, the top eight at the moment are all Oricas, if you include the Alpine as an Orica, which you should. Yes, yes. Uh, Guido van der Garde, though, beginning to get up to speed in the Racing Team Netherlands car. 
He's just put in his quickest time uh, and is going quicker again this time. It will be interesting to see how a driver of his quality can make a uh, Dallara hustle. And uh, again here, worth looking at the straight line speeds when we get back into um, proper lap times for the LMP2 cars, because that was something last year where there were dramatic differences. And uh, I think it might have been Joe that spoke to Rubens Barrichello, who was giving a rather dramatic account of the fact that the car was very, very fast in a straight line and perhaps less controllable through the turns. Uh, they'd made, frankly, made an error in terms of the way they'd set that car up for this circuit. Too quick in a straight line, massive compromise. Um, we can just get a, a quick update from Joe regarding car number 86, which is uh, back in the pits, Joe. Yeah, yeah, a bit of work going on, bit of a quite a list on their uh, on their work list, working through it. Change of dampers on the front end of the number 86. Now this is the Gulf livery car, Gulf Racing Porsche. Michael Wainwright, Benjamin Barker and Alexander Davison. Uh, down to drive this Call car. them Ben and Alex. I That's think, what they're uh, known as. Yeah, I know that. It's, uh, on, the, on the entry list, they, they've given everyone their full name. And I know. Sometimes I think, oh, who's that? <laughs> I, I, I don't Charles know who that is. Charles Robertson. Yes, Charles Jonathan Robertson. Adam. Who's Charles Robertson? Oh, Charlie. Oh, yeah. I think it's uh, Alex Davison in the in the car at the moment. Now, the, the damper change has been completed, and it's a full damper change, not just a setup, uh, not just a, a tweak of the uh, the rebound and the bump, but an actual full damper change. So that that kind of lets me think that there's a, a spring rate change there, then, that they're just going working through. And I think we'll find that as the day progresses, and certainly the lunch break between one and two, be no lunch break for these guys. These guys will be, it'll be probably putting the cars on the flatbed and having a complete set of change because the track is going to continually is going to continue to evolve and come to them yeah so car down off the jacks two mechanics step onto the onto the open the doors and step on the car and bounce up and down that's just to settle the springs and and get the car flat before it goes out on the track and just settle the dampers before it goes out now they're being spoken to via the radio communications and some last minute jobs just being done here to make sure that the car is track worthy before it goes back out. So again, just working through their work list, pretty much up and down the pit lane, uh, and nothing of any massive significance. I'm going to pop up to Algarve and see if their car's going to be recovered um, from that gravel trap. I, I take it it's been recovered no, it's a, a it flatbed, is it? No, no, it? no, it drove back. I drove back. All Rested. right, we'll check that out. Well, that's at the very end of the pit lane, Joe, so that might yeah. be a bit of a walk for you towards the very top end of the... It is a top end because uh, the end of the pit lane is slightly higher than the start of it here at Le Mans. And that part of the pit lane is now in beautiful sunshine, so the ambient temperature that they pit out is completely different to pit in, which is still in shade. Um, not that that's significant, other than the working environment of the crews who were all in three layer of Normex fire suits. It's not just about the drivers, it's not the physicality of just driving these cars. It's the physicality of everything about this race. We love it. And we're now waiting for Thomas Laurent to appear at the end of uh, potentially another very quick lap because he's gone quicker than anybody else through sector one. 78.9 through sector two is impressive. The longest sector, though, is the final one of the three. And therefore, it'll be a bit of a wait before the number three car appears at the Ford Chicane. While we wait for that, though, I uh, can tell you that uh, we said keep an eye on Guido van der Garde as to what he could possibly do with uh, the 
Delara, the racing team Dublin car, he's joined the end of that queue of Oricas. He's now eighth quickest in the LMP2 class. And with that, I'm going to step away for a little while and cough somewhere else. And uh, you'll be joined by the delightful Jim Hatton. Of race car engineering. Absolutely. So thank you, Graham, for your Always a pleasure. efforts never, so far. Never Will we hear you later on? I sincerely hope so. Uh, so do Unless I. I lose my voice. Yeah, well, you know, go and do some gargling or something or other. Um, treatment needed for Graham, who is battling through uh, with a bit of hay fever. Hopefully the air conditioning in the commentary box has helped a bit. Go through goes Tom Alaraw and sets a 323.249. So that's four tenths off his best and the car's best. A 92.8, very nearly our frequency this weekend. It's a shame we couldn't get a bit closer to that. 91.2 is the effort that uh, really Tom Laurent was aiming for at 91.2 FM Mobile One Radio Lamar. Not only for test, but also for scrutineering and for all of race week and the 24 hours itself. We've got a busy couple of weeks coming up here at Radio Show Limited. So with two hours and 11 minutes to go at Circuit de la Sarte for the first part of testing, it is Toyota Rebellion, Toyota Rebellion, and then the SMP Racing BR1. Matej Vosizakian now driving that SMP Racing car, number 17, ahead of Oli Webb in the number four uh, by Collis Racing Team. And Webb is now rejoining the session too. So we have... Certainly seven LMP1 cars out on track, Paul Trustwell. Possibly more than that. Uh, uh, just counting through. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got seven bouncing balls on my uh, on my little tracker here. Uh, yep. The number 10 and 11 currently in the pits and the number five not yet having appeared. Uh, Fernando Alonso currently on his fifth lap. Um, and of those five... Uh, when he's finished it, um, four of them will have been flying laps, uh, assuming he doesn't come into the pit. So, uh, Fernando, having done a best of 3.27.082, nowhere near as quickly as uh, Ant Davidson went earlier on, and Ant will be saying, well, I made way for Alonso. What's he doing doing 3.27s? Well, uh, I suspect Fernando just uh, finding his way around the circuit, and uh, he's probably just enjoying it. He's probably said, oh, yeah, he goes quicker that time, 324.3, um, so responded to me, even as I suggested it. Uh, so a 324.3 is the quickest lap that uh, Fernando Alonso has currently done. He's just gone through, as I say, and now set uh, his fifth lap behind the wheel of that Toyota. He has to set 10, because despite being a world champion, he's a rookie as far as uh, Le Mans is concerned, so he has to complete his 10 rookie laps here during the test day, either this morning or this afternoon. And the 25, the Algarve. If you guys get up. Stretching up here, I think, a little bit. But the 25 car has made it back. Uh, not sure who put the car off, but Mark Patterson is getting ready to get back in the car. Nothing damaged on the car. And at the moment, just a big polish job going off and uh, clearing any bits of gravel. All that I can see is a, an intact car that's just having some checks done. Okay. Maybe they're even rooting through the data to see why the car went off. It might not have just been as simple as a driver error. Yeah, it was Dutch driver Atta de Jong who was at the wheel uh, at the time, Joe. Sounds like Mark Patterson preparing himself then to get on board. Mark's, I think Mark's aim these days is to try and be the oldest driver uh, at Le Mans. 
basically. And uh, Mark continues to threaten to retire, uh, but uh, and yet yeah, keeps coming back and is uh, on board again for another season in the European Le Mans series. A tremendous character, so uh, such an enthusiast, always has a beaming smile on his face, and uh, always great for an interview too. We won't bother him just yet because he's about to get into a car, but I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to have a quick chat with the American at some stage, either today or later on towards race week six or he is 66 now he'll be 66 when he takes part in the race uh not quite the oldest ever starter but uh as you say johnny if he keeps uh, if he keeps plugging away for another <laughs> couple of years he off. will be um yeah quite so do you do you know offhand who the oldest driver to take part at Le Mans uh, is or has been uh, jack gerber in 2013 he was 68 okay well, that's achievable then for Mark Patterson in the 25 car, sharing with Atta de Jong and with Taksung Kim. And I think Atta and Taksung have been uh, have raced this track before as part of the Michelin Le Mans Cup events. Uh, they are taking place again during race week, by the way. Two 55-minute races as part of the Michelin Le Mans Cup Championship that's already been to Paul Ricard this year and to Monza in Italy just a couple of weekends ago. And they'll be... Uh, the latest rounds of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, the second of those races taking place on Saturday morning ahead of the main race itself. So Taksung King, Kim and Atta de Jong, I think the, the goal always was to be in a position to take the main race start. Uh, Mark Patterson makes up the third driver of that lineup. Uh, back to Joe again. Yeah, we, we said in the 25, the Algarve car that had an off speculated as to why it had had an off so there was a driver there who certainly wasn't Mark Patterson and I recognised his face and uh, so I thought oh that must be Ed De Jong who, who put the car off so I said I walked up to him and I said uh, so uh, what was the problem with the off he says well, just, just driver error and I says uh, oh right that's very honest of you he said yeah it wasn't me I said oh so who was it he says it's, it was it Ed De Jong I says oh so who are you he said, I'm Matt McMurray. I'm just helping with the test. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, right, that's why you're so honest about the driver error then, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. So that's just adding test drivers to confuse us, John. Right. Uh, and test drivers who are going to be detrimental about the actual drivers by the sounds yes, of things. driver error. But yeah, I, wouldn't quite, quite I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, just driver error. You're straight for, yeah, just driver error. Fair enough. Because it wasn't me. Well, it's, it shows what a good working relationship they all have, I suppose, that one can call the other out. And they can probably all still have a beer to get together tonight. Uh, it's, it's a sign of you fitting in, I suppose, once the mickey is taken out of you. And uh, thankfully, no damage done to the car with that car going round the roundabout at Mulsanne Corner and able to rejoin the session with very little damage. Uh, Graham Goodwin has become Gemma Hatton. And uh, surprised to me as I turned to my right, but great to have you back on board with Mobile One Radio Lamont 91.2 FM for a second year. Um, you've already been down the pit lane one or two times, or maybe more than that. What's your feeling ahead of this year's race? Yeah, I think we have got um, a much more exciting race on our hands than people initially think. I think people are going, oh, Toyota's going to have it, you know, they're the only hybrid. But actually, we all know Le Mans, we all know 24-hour racing, and we all know Toyota's questionable relationship with luck. Mm. And, you know, if anything does go wrong, you've got eight privateers waiting in the wings who aren't that far behind. So um, I think generally the race is going to be very exciting. And then, of course, you've got the fantastic battles of GTE, you know. I know. So and, I think we're in for a treat. I really do. I mean, BMW back. So that's now five huge manufacturers in GT Pro 
Oh, and that's mouth watering, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that MA, I was in their garage yesterday doing some more work with uh, with Mr. Bradley, and that MA looks wonderful. It does. I mean, it's a big car. Yes. When you compare it to a Porsche, you think that's kind of a touring car that they brought to Le Mans. And I know that uh, Jens Markart, when they were drawing up the plans for this thing, wanted it to be a little bit more low-slung than it actually is. They've tried to lower the roof line on the car just to make it go through the air a little better. Restrictions say it's got to be as close to the road car as possible. I mean, that's not a road car, (laughs) clearly. But you take the design of a road car and turn it into a racing machine. But the footprint of that M8 is significantly larger than, than the Porsche and, let's say, the Ford GT. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of weight, I mean, I think it's at about one, about 1,200 kilograms, which isn't too, you know, mm. 1,200, 1,200, sorry. So, um, yeah. 1,200. That's not, not, uh, not too far away from all the other cars as well. So in terms of weight, although it is big, obviously you've got the frontal area, the impact of that, um, in terms of the actual weight, is not too different. And, uh, in my experience, watching things like Bentley Continentals race in the GT3 world, it might be a bit easier on its tyres as well, because a car that covers a greater area can sometimes be lighter on its feet um, with the turning. I don't, I'm not quite entirely sure how that works, but I just I know that the Bentley Continental always used to maybe wear the tyres a little bit less across a stint. So, uh, and they're all on Michelin tyres, we should say. There's no tyre battle in GT at all this year is there the only tyre battle we find in the entry is in LMP2 where we got Dunlops and Michelins otherwise every car in the field on the French rubber yes and I was lucky enough to attend a Dunlop test over in the uh, Aragon track earlier this year did you go to Aragon? yeah it was great fun I got to play with tyres and everything so that was uh, really interesting and they've had to completely revamp um, the construction for the slicks intermediates and wets because they had new designs last year but obviously now the teams are they know the performance of their cars a bit more which means they can utilise the tyres better which puts more pressure on the tyres so the manufacturer has to respond and of course if you change the construction you get a different footprint which means you've got to change the compound so they've been doing a lot of work in trying to make sure that the tyres can withstand uh, you know the the brutalities of endurance racing Mm. but also I mean Dunlop claiming that their tyre in race week the race itself might be good for five back-to-back stints potentially as in you know they're going to be uh quintupling what's the right word paul for for five stinting quadrupling is four quintupling Quintupling. quintupling. It is quintupling. Okay. Quintupling tyres. Well, exactly. And I think five teams last year did five stints, which is about two and a half Formula One races, which puts into perspective just how uh, durable these tyres are and that yes. they have to make it that way. Um, another little tyre fact for you Go on. from Dunlop. Um, during race week last year, a total of 525,000 kilometres was completed on Dunlop rubber, which is equivalent to 13 times around the world. So there we are. Wowzers. <laughs> I mean, that's the sort of stat that just blows your mind, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, tyre technology continues to just uh, boggle the mind, get better and better. Uh, and the fact that you might be able to get, you know, five stints out of them is incredible. But also, the, the, the fashionable thing to do at the moment with tyres, Paul, is to, is to do a stint and then sometimes take them off uh, and keep them for later. Allow them to cool. And it's all this thing about heat cycling. Um 
you know, you allow them to cool not to, to, to being stone cold, but certainly away from race temperature, and then they're good to put back on again for another stint. Exactly. That was going to be a question for Gemma. I know we, we, we like to get all of Gemma's technical knowledge, not just her <laughs> knowledge of tyres, but because um, we heard from, uh, I think it was Ryan Briscoe, didn't we? Because uh, Joe was asking him about the new regulations for this year, which allow tyre changes to happen during the refuelling, which has never happened, or sorry, has happened at Le Mans before, but certainly in recent times, it's not been allowed at Le Mans. Um, so tyre changes can take place whilst the refuelling is taking place. So it does mean that um, they can change tyres at every stop if they want to, but they can't because they don't have enough tyres um, that are allocated to them. There's a restriction in LMP1 as to how many tyres they're allowed to use and in LMP2. Um, so what they end up doing is recycling the tyres in effect. So you use them once, put them in the back of the garage and then use them again later. And, and is that a good way to use the tyres, Gemma, or is it better to actually kind of use them up all at once and then throw them away? I'm not too sure, to be honest, but the main worry, the moment you take tyres off a car, you know, they start to cool down and you need to get those them up to that working range as quickly as possible when you've got them on the car, which means they have to be at a certain temperature when they leave the garage. So the most crucial thing when you are trying to recycle your tyres is making sure that you get them off as quickly as you can back into those ovens or the tyre blankets so that they can keep at that temperature so that they don't drop, you know, too far too far out of the um, sort of window um, and I think from speaking to some of the teams yesterday um, because of these working range because these endurance tyres require such a large wide working range actually it only takes about 10 to 15 minutes in the ovens to get up to a usable temperature not the peak temperature that you need when you put them on the car ready to go out of the pit lane but I was surprised at that. I thought it would take a much longer time, but obviously it's because it's got such a wider working range. So you get them to that usable temperature, put them on the car, and then the driver warms them up as, uh, and get them to that optimum working range, which gives them the most grip. Right. And again, that sort of comes through to, I suppose, the durability of the tyre and the reliability of the tyre is that, you know, your working temperature range is slightly more forgiving than a Formula 1 tyre, let's say, which has to be almost pinpoint accurate. Um, and I mean, they need to be, they need to do the job. They need to also, though, be friendly for the engineers uh, as far as the job is, their job is concerned, getting them off the car and getting them into the ovens quickly. But you, you don't want it to be, you know, a set temperature and nothing else. They, it needs to be a workable situation. Sorry, Paul, I was about to uh, cut across you there for a second. Uh, no, no, I just wanted to say it's a good time to talk about tyres because we do have a slow zone in effect at the moment between the two chicanes uh, on the Mulsanne Strait due to the fact uh, that a car has stopped in between the two chicanes and it's the number 10, uh, one of the LMP1 cars. It's the Dragon Speed car, uh, which has ground to a halt, it would seem. I don't know if you've got uh, closed circuit pictures of that, but it's uh, stuck out on the circuit and as a result, we've got a slow zone between the two chicanes at the moment. Okay something to bear in mind and uh, a number of cars in the field also being told to adhere to track limits as well Graham Goodwin's done a good job here in setting some uh, don't tell anybody but we've sort of commandeered a screen in the next door booth and if I'm careful with my aim of the remote control I can switch through CCTV pictures on that one as well the problem is, if I'm not careful, it changes the timing in our booth, and that's uh, not <laughs> ideal. So uh, I'm still getting used to this. This is Graham's job, you see. Jamie, you can have this job if you oh. want in a second. So where did you say, uh, uh, between the two chicanes, didn't you, Paul? Yeah. 
Okay, I'm going the wrong way. I've reached Arnage now and realised I'm past it. Uh, okay, so... You're not past it, Johnny. Uh, can oh, I talk thanks. to Gemma about, <laughs> about, about other aspects of uh, race car engineering? Um, because, of course, the, the, the fascination for me for this year's race, Gemma, is this kind of balance which is going on between the um, hybrids and non-hybrids, the uh, manufacturer and privateer cars. Um, now, they do have this extra limitation for the privateers, which is just for the test. So what we see here is not going to be necessarily the same as what we see in the race. Yeah, that's, well, yes, of course, you've got the whole conundrum that is the equivalence of technology, that EOT, that all-important table in the in the appendix of the regulations. Um, Do you know that off by heart at this stage? Not yet. I've got a list of bullet points here. Okay. <laughs> but by race week, I promise, I will know exactly what it means. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, again, the aim of the thing, it's very different well, yeah, it is different to the balance of performance. The whole aim is to make sure and, and for the series to promote hybrid technology. So that hybrid Toyota has got to be, you know, promoted and the, you know, quotation marks, the best. But for the fans, you need competitive racing. Mm. And you, so it's all about how you get a gap that promotes hybrid technology in that Toyota whilst bringing all the other privateers into that performance window which is sort of different to balance of performance so it is a balance of technology is what the EOT which is why it's called equivalence of technology rather than performance which is what we see in the GT classes. Yes because the GTs effectively run the same type of technology either internal combustion engine or a turbocharged engine but they are uh, they're Grand Tourers, so they they don't have to think about hybrids on them. Um, they don't have different technology. It's you know it is a kind of car that's raced a type of car that's raced here for many decades now. Hybrid, still a relatively new addition to the Le Mans entry, and obviously we had a situation where there were three massive manufacturers here running hybrid cars in the past. Toyota, we know all about because they're still part of the championship and part of the race. Porsche who were here for the final time last year, and Audi, who we didn't have last year either, but uh, finished their Le Mans campaign two years ago, long-time stalwarts of the championship. But we got to a point where all three manufacturers were running this hybrid technology. I mean, I really loved the years where you had hybrid technology in all three cars, but very different mm. hybrid technology. There was a flywheel, there was a supercapacitor, there was a, um, a turbo-driven hybrid system on the Porsche as well. Um, you didn't really need equi equivalence of technology within the hybrid uh, division because the rules had been written so brilliantly that they, they kind of presented a problem and the three manufacturers came up with three very different answers to it. This is a whole different kettle of fish though, isn't it? Because you've now got a situation where the ACO are, are, are wanting Toyota to be here, obviously. They also want Toyota to be part of the World Endurance Championship. They've got this hybrid technology as well. So therefore, we can't really be in a situation where an LMP1 car, a, a standard LMP1 car, a non-hybrid, is in the position to, to beat the hybrid on pure pace and I think there is a, there is a deliberate advantage given to Toyota in that respect but they also want it to be a close race for, as you say for everyone here watching either at the circuit or listening to us so it's a tricky conundrum isn't it for the guys that, that write the regulations yeah and the way they've approached it they've sort of three main bullet points to try and maintain that gap whilst uh, keeping the privateers in play so um, I will try and explain this as simply as possible, not to insult our listeners, but uh, no, no, just for my head to figure it all out. If nothing else, to help me, frankly. Yeah, oh, 
okay, well, they're fair enough. <laughs> so the first point is 20% of the green flag laps, um, the non-hybrid, so the privateer teams, can't be closer to Toyota um, than 0.5 seconds. Yes. Um, point number two, the hybrids are restricted to 11 laps per stint. Um, they're capable of doing 14 laps, which I think we saw last year, um, whereas the non-hybrid cars um, are restricted to 10 laps, so essentially one lap less. Um, and then, of course, the hybrids, due to the different refuelling restrictor sizes, um, can refuel five seconds faster than the non-hybrids. So a few finger calculations, um, assuming about 400 laps of Le Mans, it equates to, before the race even starts, again, very rough figures, mm -hmm. um, 865 seconds slower, or well, they've locked the non-hybrid privateer cars are already 865 seconds behind Toyota before the green flag goes, which is about 4.3 laps, I think, which actually, uh, 24 hours of Le Mans at the length of this circuit, you know, it's not too much, you know, considering how much time was spent in the pits yes. of Toyota last year, you know, it's not it's not a one-horse race. Yes, so Toyota cannot afford to rest on their laurels and say, let's give this 80% and we've got it won, because they're going to get non-hybrid LMP1 snapping at their heels and potentially only four laps back after 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting to Le Mans, but now then Gemma and I can compare notes on this. Uh, <laughs> is your numbers very different? <laughs> uh, they're not that different. Uh, okay. Nine minutes, 22 seconds uh, is the gap I've got at the finish between Toyota and the best of the privateers. So uh, that's two laps. Um, but it, the, 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 w w however you do the sums, you just take certain uh, assumptions. Oh, two laps is even better than yeah, Gemma's we'll calculations. Yeah, we'll go with yours I was, then. I was fearful. <laughs> yeah, good, let's go with yours. <laughs> I was fearful it was going to be a, a larger gap. So that is if a Toyota never misses a beat, and that's if an LMP1 car, non-hybrid, never misses a beat, is it? Or are you taking yeah. into... Yeah, yeah. No, that's, okay. absolutely. that's assuming that, uh, A, the track is fully green, uh, and B, that uh, the cars don't have particular problems. Um, and, of course... If you then uh, extend the calculation to include LMP2 cars into it, then that's where the big gap happens. LMP2s are 12 laps then behind at the end of the race. But we saw how close last year an LMP2 car came uh, to yeah. winning the race. So, uh, and that was because of problems that uh, that were experienced by other cars. Um, so, no, I think uh, it is going to be uh, a fascinating battle. And although Toyota does hold the better cards they are going to have to play them uh, and in effect they've got nine minutes of a cushion that they can sit in the pits for re repairing something but if they spent 10 minutes in the pits repairing something um, then they're going to have the potential of a p1 privateer uh, right behind them uh, can we have a round of applause for fernando alonso because he's just done his rookie test uh, he's ah. just come into the pits at the end of a 10 lap stint um so uh the uh, job, done. Toyota. job done that's it now all he has to do now is show up on uh, in a couple of weeks time and do one more race and that's it excellent so uh, i'm sure that won't be it for today we'll see the spaniard back at the wheel of the number eight he can drive the number seven today as well should he so wish or the, the team so wish but uh, the number eight car is to be his uh, mount for the race uh, that's paul truswell Gemma hatton and johnny palmer in the commentary box and you're listening to the radio show limited network of channels this is mobile one radio Le Mans on 91.2 fm around the circuit and around the world on rs1 via the rsl player and you can find that at radiolamon.com so paul Gemma, johnny and joe bradley still in the pits 
I was going to uh, I was going to offer some clarity for normal people on what Paul and Gemma were talking about. For there. normal people, and, and, and I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I think Paul did it actually. So basically, if the rebellion goes round untroubled, and the Toyota loses four laps, we've got a race in our hands. Two laps. Well, uh, Paul Paul thinks it's two laps. Two laps. All right, it was Gemma who said. It's getting one. closer, and right, I think yeah. when Gemma does more calculations, we'll find it's about half a lap. Because yep. you know, I'll just I'll just put in a wrong figure here and there and make it really super close. Um, but no, I mean to be honest, four laps was closer than I thought it was going to be, and uh, and Paul's uh, prediction is even better, isn't it, Joe? I mean, that, people say Toyota are going to walk away with this. I, I can't see that happening somehow. Well, that's only 12 minutes, or you know, at a push 14 minutes um, of lap time, really. And that 14 minutes can ever wear very, very quickly indeed if you have an issue. And we only have to look back in recent times and see that, uh, you know, the kind of jobs that... Look at last year when Porsche almost lost it because of time in the pits. Almost lost it to an LMP2 car. Um, and I just can't see people like the Rebellion, people, any, any of our LMP runners, having a trouble-free run. Yeah. I just don't think it's on. I may be wrong because we've talked about Toyota not being pushed for performance and, and they can concentrate on reliability with that uh, equivalency of technology formula. Um, I just can't see it, especially, especially if we have a hot one. And as far as the forecast concerned, it's not quite as hot, not quite going to be as, as hot as last year, but it's not going to be far off. And one can only hope. We like a bit of things mixed <laughs> up, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I thought you, you were talking from your perspective. One can only hope that it's not going to be hot throughout because uh, it gets very sticky in that pit lane, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Very sticky. Very sticky in this race suit, I can tell you. <laughs> it's um, nice and cool up here, if that helps. It's a what, sorry? Nice and cool up here. Sorry, Gemma, it's really loud down here. She Did said it's nice beer? and cool up here, but <laughs> you, you don't really want to hear that, frankly. I thought you mentioned beer. I was thinking, that's <laughs> a bad up like mix. a shot. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad mix though, down uh, here. Just the two Toyotas. I mean, I know they've run with just two cars in the past, but uh, when Porsche and Audi were slinging money at this race, like there's nobody's, uh, like, like there's no tomorrow, then uh, they were always turning up with three cars, sometimes four, when Audi turned up with four cars that year. I mean, do you think, Joe, that, you know, the, the budget clearly wasn't there for a third car, but again, you know, it doesn't take much, does it, to knock a couple of cars off track? You know what, I've, I've always been um, wondered why Toyota have come here. Because if they win, then people are going to say, well, you didn't really have any competition because Porsche and Audi weren't there. Yeah. And if they lose, well, people are going to say, well, you only had yourselves to beat. So it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. And I think, I think we've got to look through that and look at the competition that we've got uh, in the form of our LMP cars, our LMP1 uh, cars, and I think the regulations are, are going to work really well. I really do, and I think this equivalency of technology—it's not about one-lap performance. I think I said this earlier. You've, you can't look at it at just one-lap performance. The Toyota is always going to be the quickest car over the one lap, but over a race distance, over a 24-hour distance, I think we're going to we're going to see a race being produced, and then just add in the mix the unknown quantity with regards to not just attrition, not just mechanical attrition, but race attrition, damage, contact, driver error, all of that. It's just going to be an exciting... It never ceases to be exciting, does it? I mean, you don't need 
manufacturers, three manufacturers, four manufacturers, two manufacturers even. You just need to have a race over 24 hours in anything. If we were doing this in supermarket trolleys, we'd still, we would still get excited. True. But that's because something something along the way is guaranteed to happen to take our interest. And often, so often, there is a sting in the tail for this race too. And you think you've read it correctly. You think get everything's now going to finish in the final hour as it is, as it starts the final hour. And uh, I don't know, the, the last few years, certainly, we've had massive drama. Um, uh, and massive drama on. out on the track at the moment as well. Um, what I failed to do when applauding... Uh, Fernando Alonso was to uh, point out, uh, highlight the fact that in that 10 lap stint, he also did the fastest lap of the session, uh, faster than Anthony Davidson had been earlier on in the same car, faster than anybody else. Three minutes, 21, four, six, eight, uh, fastest lap then for Fernando Alonso. Uh, but then, just a moment ago, Thomas Laurent at the wheel of the number three rebellion uh, has just set a 3.21.828, three tenths of a second behind. So it is close up at the front, you know, the, mm. that uh, half a second of a gap, which Gemma was talking about, is actually 0.36 of a second. And the potential, as I say, to race fuel allowance for uh, the rebellion um, and appears to be a little bit higher than it is for this test session um, so it is going to be close at the front uh, in terms of outright pace over the single lap between the and the rebellion at least so the fastest rebellion second fastest uh kaz nakajima has now taken over the main so uh, and the seventh Toyota, that's still third fastest ahead of Neil Jarni, uh, who is still in the number one uh, rebellion, although that car is still in the pits at the moment, following a fairly lengthy pit stop for Neil. He's uh, in the pits now for uh, getting on for 20 minutes. Yeah, so both Japanese drivers now at the wheel of the Toyotas. Kazuki Nakajima in the number eight and Kamui Kobayashi in the number seven. Laurent has been driving that number three car for quite a while now. And in LMP2, it's still the 26 car that's quickest. Andrea Pizzitola now driving that number 26 Orica. And it is ahead of two further Oricas, the Alpine, which is also an Orica, and the TDS 07 as well. So it's 26 fastest in the LMP2 category from 48. 39 is third fastest, 36 is fourth fastest, and fifth quickest, number 28, the uh, Francois Perodo-driven Orica from TDS. Joe in the pit lane. Uh, would you like a Dunlop track temperature? I would it? love a Dunlop tyre temperature, please. A, a track want... temperature, I should say. Yes, yeah. please. Would you, would you want to hazard a guess? Um, if I told you we have an ambient of 23. Right. I'm going to guess 29. Ooh, not far. Ooh. Gemma? A Dunlop track temperature, Gemma Hatton? I'm going to say 30, but is it, has it been measured in the shade of the pit lane or the sun of the pit oh, lane? It's been measured in the sun, okay. in the sunshine. Yeah, oh, right, 31 then. You're close, you're all close. It's usually 10 degrees above ambient, okay. is from my experience, and it's 33, so that's spot on. It is spot on. Yeah, Dunlop track temperature, 33 degrees at the moment. So perfect, I'd say, perfect operating temperature. I, know, I mean, are we going to be in a situation during race week where it gets too hot into the sort of 40s? I was at Thruxton the other week and it got to about 41. And, uh, you know, tyres were struggling in that sort of heat, particularly at Thruxton because it's highly abrasive. But, um, you know, yeah, when, when do we get to a point where the track temperature is worryingly high? I think above 37 to 40 you start to right. need to come back on your canvas and stuff and watch your tyre pressures, maybe up, up the pressures a little bit. 
quite a bit. Yep. You know, maybe go above two bar for the first time when you're starting towards 40 degrees. But again, you know, tyre technology changes constantly. And we've heard, I think it was Ryan Briscoe who mentioned a new Michelin compound on the Ford GT. Um, because of the different way we're going to use tyres and it all being brought about by the change in uh, pit stop regulation. Uh, before, we were only able to change tyres after the refuelling was done. And I think that the, the idea behind allowing tyres to be changed at the time of refuelling is because during that refuelling phase, it's kind of like we, we, it's kind of like somebody presses pause on the video. You know, everything stops and all you've got is a car stationary, everybody poised to spring into action. And as soon as the refueler went off, on, on came the tyre changes. Well, now we're going to have a flurry of activity around the car. Refueling's going to be done, the tyres are going to be changed, the wheel guns are going to be hammering round, and it's all going to be done in a flurry. It's, it's kind of exciting, not certainly anywhere near Formula One kind of 2.6 time pit stops. I really can't see the point in that, to be honest, but that's another side. But uh, I think it's going to change, visually change, the aspect of uh, pit stops here. It's going to tactically change things. Thankfully, we're limited to how many tyres we can use over the course of the, uh, the race weekend. So that's going to not eradicate completely the, the tactics that we employ or deploy uh, with regards to tyre changes. And we are going to see tyres being double or triple stinted because of the limited amount of tyres we've got to use over the course of the race weekend. So it's all, it's all exciting stuff as ever. Number 17, by the way. Which is a Toyota. Which is a Toyota, Toyota number seven. Kimberly Kobayashi. Yeah, yeah. St staying in the car. Actually, no, we've had a change. Uh, Mike Conway has gotten in. Kobayashi gotten out. So Mike Conway back at the wheel of the number seven as the Japanese driver gets out. Yeah, we haven't touched on that, Paul. The fact that the uh, pit lane or the pit stop regulations have changed. 2017 to 2018 that now means that during a pit stop the time defining process is the fuel going in isn't it so almost the mechanics or the tire uh, tire mechanics have a little bit of time in hand don't they to change the tires just knowing that the fuel takes longer the uh yes they do the the actual time defining factor is the driver change um, oh, that takes longer because, than fuel in the car uh, well it, Depends how much you practice, um, <laughs> but the the issue, and we we saw this at Spa, is getting the harnesses, uh, getting the belts done up. Um, and remember, it was Nakajima, wasn't it? I think it was either Nakajima or Kobayashi. I think it was Nakajima uh, who had to come into the pits after uh, a single lap in Spa, um, and that was because his belts weren't done up properly. Um, yes. And that was because. It was the driver change, which was the most time critical part of the pit stop. So, yes, you're right. The fuel is the defining factor uh, because they can get the tyres done more quickly than the fuel going in. Um, although for Toyota, uh, that is harder because Toyota running a hybrid have left less fuel to put in. So the refueling for a Toyota is quicker than the refueling for Rebellion, for example. Um, but that it still takes longer than changing all four wheels even though we still have the same um choreographed um tire tape so it's not formula one style tire change where um you can have as many people around the car as you want you still have to do it with this uh, restriction on the tire on the number of uh 
uh, mechanics doing the tire change, just two of them, uh, and the uh, wheel gun is being restricted as well. But it, it's the tires can be changed more quickly than the human gun. Then get right means where you really have to get hurry up. Is it still two wheel guns, by the way? That's that's the limit. Yeah. Just to elaborate on that point, in terms of the number of seconds of pit stops, um, from in our latest uh, in race car engineering magazine, we've heard of estimates of about 26 seconds for a driver change and 23 seconds to refuel. So, like Paul says, the, t- the driver change is the is the limiting factor there. And 23 seconds for a non-hybrid car. Yes. Okay. So it- it takes longer for the fuel to go in for a non-hybrid car uh, because there is more fuel going in. Yeah, but I'm just yes, interested in the it. times, though. Uh, right. Did you know the difference between refueling a Toyota compared to refueling a non-Toyota? I'm working on about four seconds. Okay. Yeah, I got five. Well, it, the regulations say five seconds, don't they? Because of those different refueling restrictor yes. sizes yes. as well. The, the, yes, what they've done, although there's more fuel to go into a non-hybrid, uh, the... Um, orifice the uh, the pipe through which it feeds is wider for a non-hybrid so they, they can they allow the flow to be a little bit faster than a hybrid but it still takes longer yes the re- regulation um, was to say five seconds i reckon in spa they were getting it a little bit quicker the hardware again is the driver positioning the car in exactly the right place because um, hmm. obviously if the if the fueling is limited, then getting it is absolutely stop the car where the man with the nozzle is means that you can get the nozzle on straight away without him having to take a step to the right and a step to the left um, and there was a rather amusing photograph in I don't think it was in race current engineering it should have been uh, and I think it was in another um, magazine uh, where they actually have a little mark and um, that there was the optimal position marked and then there was a uh, position on either side of that which was and then Anything beyond that costs the driver a beer. Right. I see. Start measuring it in alcohol and people will start paying attention, in my experience. Uh, Tom and Laurent threatened to go even quicker that time around. Did an absolute best through Sector 1 and Sector 2. It was a 93.9 through Sector 3. He has been quicker than that in car number three. So in the end, no improvement. So the difference in time between a hybrid Toyota and a non-hybrid Rebellion Racing uh, car is... Still 0.360 of a second, but uh, very tight margins uh, as we as we go, with nearly 90 minutes still to go in this first four-hour test session this morning. This will take us through to one o'clock local time. We then have an hour off for lunch and continue from two through till six for the second half of the day. By the way, coming up at lunchtime uh, on RS1 and on Mobile One Radio on 91.2 FM. There'll be an exclusive chat with 2003 Le Mans winner Guy Smith, who's recently announced his retirement from professional racing. John Hindoff sat down with Guy at Silverstone as the Bentley boy was preparing for his last race for the British brand. And the long one with Guy Smith between the track sessions today, only here on Mobile One, Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM, and of course on RS1. And Thomas Laurent 
may not be done yet with efforts to try and improve because he's just gone very quickly through sector one once again. This feels again, Paul, like a prolonged run for Thomas Laurent. I mean, the Rebellion happy not to give Gustavo Menezes some track time, for instance, not to give Matthias Besch track time. It's been Laurent for most of the morning. It's it's been Laurent for the whole session indeed. There you go. Uh, he's he's the only one who, to have driven the car, and he is on a longer run now. Uh, he's currently on the eighth lap uh, of this stint in the number three car, and that's the longest stint that car has done. Um, the fuel flow regulations that we're hearing from Gemma a moment ago will restrict the privateers in race configuration to ten laps. Um, it's not strictly so true to say that they are only allowed to do ten laps. So that's what the regulation says because that also has the caveat that it's a fully green racetrack and it's a dry racetrack what they um what they measure what the uh, wec um telemetry measures is the fuel flow uh, and the amount of fuel that they are allowed to use over a single lap so um the uh, that if it's wet or if there's a slow zone or a safety car then cars are able to go further than their their target distance if you will because they'll be to save fuel yes no that makes sense good clarification there paul <laughs> notes adjusted accordingly yep. i think that was uh, <laughs> as Gemma scribbles out a whole page of a notepad no 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 just adjustment that's all that's required um in lmp2 uh andrea pizzitola is still driving the fastest uh, lmp2 car as we stand number 26 that's the g drive orica i've not mentioned a lot about gts have we we must do that in a moment or two uh, edex sport uh, their orica is currently in the pit lane the graph number 39 car vincent capillaire um still driving that graph so24 orica and um, it is third fastest then the alpine from cinetech alpine matmut car 36 still fourth fastest from the tds racing francois perodo driven orica uh, gt pro it is two fords now and maybe more that requires me changing the page it's four fords in fact first second third and fourth now and the best of them is the 67 car andy prio has been driving that and the car's on a 353.008 and second fastest, uh, Stefan Mucha in car 66. Not sure whether it's a Stefan Mucha time, but a 353.917 is the car's effort, number 66. And then third fastest is the 69 car of Ryan Briscoe. But Fords took a little bit of time to bubble to the surface. They are definitely there now. And with 90 minutes to go, we can do this actually slightly more officially now because we've got to the bottom of the hour as we call it in the trade. That means two and a half hours done, one and a half hours still to go of the morning session, although it goes just beyond midday to one o'clock. And it is time for a Silverstone Circuit hourly update with a driver change in the number eight car, Kazuki Nakajima taking over from Fernando Alonso. Alonso's done all that he needs to do today, as in his 10 rookie laps. Still need to do three night laps, though, when we come to race week. But Alonso out, Nakajima in. And Nakajima's just done a 327.729 in car number eight. But uh, it's an earlier time from that car, a 321.468, that puts it fastest. Just remind me, Paul, who set the time in car number eight? That's the 321.4. Alonso. It was Alonso. I yes. thought so. Thank you. Um, and that puts the number eight car point three six zero over second clear of Thomas Leroy, who is again on an, another very quick lap. This is a lengthy stint from the young Frenchman, and he's gone faster than anybody else through sector two now. 
to back up the fact that these rebellion cars are very, very fast down the tubes, down the Mulsanne Strait and into the two chicanes. So car three is second fastest, could Tom Allerard be about to improve again, though, on this lap. His uh, time, uh, as it stands, is a 3.21.828. Third fast is the number seven Toyota, Mike Conway back at the wheel, and the car's done a 3.24.577. Then two cars that are currently in the pit lane, the number one Rebellion, Neil Jarney last to drive it. It's done a 3.24.865, and the SMP Racing BR1, the BR Engineering entered car, uh, with the AER engine, and car 17... Matebos Izakian last to drive that, 325.664. And that car fifth fastest from the number four Enzo CLM, the Bicolors Racing Team entered car. Ollie Webb is doing the driving now, and a 328.415 is the car's effort. LMP2, I've kind of given you, but a reminder it's 26 from 48 from 39. 26 is the G Drive Racing car, a 330.1. A 338.8 from Edex Sports Orica, car 48. And third fastest is number 39. Jonathan Hershey takes that car over now, by the way. And the car's done a 331.3. I mentioned the fact that the Fords now are at the top of the GT Pro standings. 67. Uh, now with Harry Tinknell driving. And that car is on an outlap from Stefan Mucker, also on an outlap in car 66. Third fastest is the Ryan Briscoe car number 69, and Ryan is driving right now. And then Joey Hand in the 68 car is fourth fastest with a 354.645. Fifth fastest in GTE Pro is the Porsche uh, number 91. That's the Rothmans liveried, or uh, replicating the Rothmans livery for 2018, celebrating 70 years of Porsche. Jimmy Bruni doing the driving in car number 91. Sixth fastest is the 63 Chevrolet Corvette. Uh, Jan Magnussen doing the driving for the big American muscle car, 355.014. In GTE Am, Clearwater Racing's Ferrari is still fastest. Matt Griffin's time, a 358.569, but it is Mok Wang Sun doing the driving, number 61, and Mok Wang Sun is the bronze uh, element of that. Remember, in GTE Am driver combination, you have to have one bronze, your second choice can be either bronze or silver, and your third choice is entirely free, and uh, understandably most teams going with a platinum or a gold driver. So Mokweng Sun doing a bit of distance driving now in 61. Second fastest is the 77 Porsche from Dempsey Proton Racing, and Julian Andlauer now driving that. The car's time at 359.066. And third fastest, number 88, the other Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche, Khaled Al-Kubaisi driving, and the car's done a 359.806. Fourth fastest, the Gulf Racing Porsche. Ben Barker last to drive it, 359.9, but the car's pitted. Uh, then there's another Ferrari, fifth fastest, the JMW Motorsport Ferrari. Cooper McNeil driving that now, 4 minutes, 0.226. And sixth fastest, another Ferrari, 488, 4 minutes, point, uh, four minutes 0.240 for Giancarlo Fisichella in the 54 Spirit of Race Ferrari. So that's uh, Ferrari fastest then three Porsches, and then another two Ferraris. So the Astons possibly struggling. Eighth fastest for TF Sport, and the number 98 car is 10th fastest in GTE Am. That is the latest Silverstone Circuit hourly updates. Remember the website, silverstone.co.uk, and listen for a great ticket and hospitality competition starting in Le Mans Race Week. So Wednesday 
of not this coming week but the following week we will be doing we'll be starting our competition for ticket and hospitality giveaways uh, for the August World Endurance Championship round which falls on the 17th, the 18th and the 19th of August and remember that's the only place in the UK to see these current Le Mans type cars on track so uh, we're very much looking forward to round three of the World Endurance Championship super season which takes place in Silverstone in August Tom Alleron went quick again during that uh, previous lap. He's pitted now, though, Paul, but there were two absolute best sector times during the stint, at the very least. Yes, he did, and uh, that was uh, a nine-lap stint for uh, the Rebellion. Um, so to, yes, he did come into the pits, didn't he? So, uh, yes, it was only nine laps, not the, uh, the full stint of ten. Uh, it does mean that we're going to be uh, probably having more scheduled pit stops because these uh, LMP1 cars uh, will be coming in round about every 37 or 38 minutes or so uh, for routine pit stops, um, as opposed to running to 45, 50, 55 minutes, uh, which is what we've had in previous years. So uh, it will be... Um, uh, very active indeed for our uh, pit crew um, who will be chasing up and down the pit lane uh, a lot more this year more pit stops uh, expected therefore uh, the other thing to say uh, 10 laps have now been completed by Jensen Button so uh, he's now got a, a green highlighter pen over him um, actually he hasn't strictly speaking completed his 10th yet he's on it um, and he's heading uh, just through Arnage heading back towards the pit so could well be coming into the pits at the end of this lap but that's a 10 lap stint from Jensen and button which will uh, mean that he's completed his rookie laps uh, and also in the SMP team the other car the number 17 car um, Igor Orujev and Matavos Izakian have both done their 10 laps already so um, the uh, first job as you if you will having been ticked off for uh, SMP racing all three of their drivers who had to complete their 10 laps uh, have done now Yegor Orujev and Matavos Izakian race winners in the European Le Mans series last year. So no stranger to these cars, but this is their first time at uh, Le Mans competing on the, the full track. So uh, welcome to those chaps and uh, still very young, I think 20 and 21 or 20, 20 and 22, I think it was. Let me just get that the right way round. We're talking about the number 17 SMP Racing entered BR Engineering car and Yegor Rudchev, 22, Matevos Izakian, 20 years old, and uh, they were silver-graded drivers last year. They've now been bumped up to gold because I think, again, they are real talents for the future. Being joined by Le Mans veteran Stefan Sarazan this year at 43 years old, a platinum driver, clearly, and uh, much success with many fat manufacturers in the LMP1 category over the years. Stefan Sarazan, former Porsche driver, former uh, former Peugeot driver, I should say, not Porsche driver, Peugeot driver and former Toyota driver too. Uh, Paul Truswell was talking about uh, people working very hard in the pit lane come race week and the race itself. A man that knows all about that is Joe Bradley. Uh, we've got a bit of a situation down here in the pit lane. There is a veritable oil slick that is running pretty much the length of the pit lane at the moment. We've got the oil flags uh, to greet any drivers coming into the pits and the where this oil slick starts is really way beyond pit in, and I'm not sure if this oil slick begins out on the circuit and whether or not that's destroying any optimum line. But the oil slick is being addressed, certainly in the pit lane. It runs 
all the way from pit in and out of sight i'm going to investigate and see where the trail leads to it's going to be it's not rocket science it's uh it's viscosity science i think is what we'll call it for now i'll get back to you where this trail leads to see who's lost an engine or something because that is quite a lot of oil that's been put down I love the word viscosity. If we can have that a few more times today, that would be great. Uh, but it's an important word about the properties of oil and other fluids carried by racing cars. So Joe off to investigate. What he likes to do, Joe Bradley, is a bit weird in this sense, is uh, get down on his knees and uh, just dip the finger into the into the said substance. And sometimes he'll taste it as well, just to work out exactly what sort of substance we're talking about. Strays chat. There we are, uh, slow zone, yes. Uh, and that was uh, when Mike Conway was turning up the wick because he'd just done a middle sector that was better than anybody else. But where's the slow zone? Is it in front or behind it's him? It's in front of him. It's in sector mm. three. So uh, okay. unfortunate that for Mike Conway. The uh, Toyota is, that's the third placed car, the slower of the two Toyotas. But uh, as I say, he's coming into the slow zone now. It's the final uh, slow zone on the circuit. There are nine zones. Um, for slow zone and I suspect that as Joe said what he described as being at the pit lane entrance is also on the track uh, and because that area of the track where the pit lane comes off is in the braking area for the Ford chicane um, they'll be wanting to uh, to tidy that that area up but it would be interesting just to have a look at Mike Conway's overall lap time this time around just to see how much uh, he has lost uh, as a result of having to go through that slow zone at the end of the lap and a, a rebellion actually wanting to take uh, take some action in this session now, despite the yellow flag and the, uh, the slow zone being introduced. So Matthias Besch has now got on board. Finally, he says, so oh, I, I get a go after Thomas Laurent has been hogging the race seat. So Laurent out of the number three and Matthias Besch in for a little bit of running prior to lunch. There's still an hour and 18 minutes to go, and Joe has an update as far as the oil slick is concerned, or just yeah. a, little, a, a, a thin slither, are we talking? Oh, Sarah Rigby's going to love this. It's <laughs> uh, bad news for the Aston Martin 98. The, uh, the trail of oil has led right out front of the, uh, the number 98 Aston Martin garage, where there has been a lot more oil deposited. The, uh, the bonnet of the car is off, and there's a lot of trays under there to catch what has happened and what's uh, and I can see it now it's clearly dripping from the sump area of the car um, but <coughs> excuse me I'm catching I'm catching Graham Goodwin's thing um, what hay fever I don't uh, think you can catch that bit of, a, bit of a cough Paul Delalana is sitting at the back of the garage I think he's just gotten out I'm going to grab a word maybe he'll talk to us stand by guys stay with me we'll see if the, the cable will stretch um, hello, Paul. Were you in the car when this happened? That was Matthias. Matthias Lauder. Matthias, is it, have we lost an engine? Yeah, yeah, it looks like him uh, because uh, LMP Tuka pushed me going into the again. Under braking, he, he pushed me to the outside. So uh, to avoid him, I had to go straight, and the car jumped over the curb. And by landing, uh, the car broke the engine. Ah, a real pity. Really bad driving from uh, LMP and cost us the engine for nothing. And yeah, I'm really a bit disappointed. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Thanks, Matthias. Matthias Lauda has a look of indignation mm. on his face, and it's very disappointing because I'm not sure how long it takes to change a motor in the number 98 Aston Martin. 
it's the uh, it's going to be very disappointing i'm not sure which of those which of the drivers have cycled through and i'll just uh, clarify who we've got in that call. Uh, it was Paul Delalano who was sitting in the back, Pedro Lamy, Matthias Lauda. Um, I'm not sure how long it takes to change a motor. There's, there's certainly there's certainly a cleanup job going on, and it's whether or not losing the oil has lunched the motor before he got it back to the pit, so whether or not we can just change the sump on the car. And that's what we'll be looking at, I would imagine. So there's, there's no urgency with regards to looking like we're going to change motors out of this car at the moment, so we're just maybe going to look at seeing what damage has actually been caused. Bit tricky, though, isn't it? Because Very it's, much un so. it's unseen damage. Yes. Uh, pretty much. All, all three drivers have driven the car, Joe. Uh, Pedro Lamy started it. Uh, had done three laps before uh, coming into the pits on uh, that final. Um, with, with, in fact, I don't think he came into the pits. I think he may have left the car out on the circuit. Um, I haven't got an in lap for. Oh, yes, he is. Sorry, he did come into the pits under the car's own steam. But all three car drivers, at least having uh, been out in it, of course, all three are on the list of experienced drivers having um, driven recently at Le Mans. Yeah, well, as in last year, on their way to the GTE Am um, trophy, the endurance trophy for GTE Am drivers. Paul, Pedro, Matthias are defending champions after a great year last year. There were nine races in the World Endurance Championship last year. They managed to get four wins, um, but a fourth place at Le Mans. So eager, uh, certainly, for a podium this year. That's not the best start to their two weeks. We've also, Paul, had a drama out on track at the second chicane for the racing team Nederland, Dallara. This is car 29, and now I need to work out who was driving the car at the time. The driver's out and in conversation with the marshals. It's just stopped, basically. It's Jan Lammers who's been Jan, driving yeah. that car. Yeah, and Jan here for his final appearance at Le Mans. Uh, before there is a driver change within the team. And Jan uh, raced this car at Spa. He's here at Le Mans, obviously, and then uh, we'll hand the mantle over. But uh, not keen to, to sort of hang up the race suit entirely and wants to carry on with some sort of racing career after this. But great to have Jan here for one final hurrah. And I'm afraid the car, though, has come to a halt uh, at the second or chicane or maybe just before it and is now in between the tyres. It looks intact, doesn't it, Gemma? But uh, it's just been sort of wheeled in between the two bits of Armco there. So it is now in a safer position, protected by Armco barrier. And the marshals have been talking to Jan. It looked like he was called back to the car maybe to attempt to restart it. I think it might be one of those dreaded electrical issues, though. Oh, that's a Control-Alt-Delete, surely? <laughs> it always solves it, doesn't it? Turn well, the car off, turn it back on again. Oh, it's fired into life. It's, uh, the problem with Jan, the Sorry, problem Jan is, he's, he's, Jan is, uh, is so old, he's, he doesn't know about Control-Alt-Delete. He's, uh, he's one of these guys who thinks he's got to go out and take the, take the engine cover off and play with, uh, play with other things. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, Currently not showing as a slow zone out there, though. It's at the second chicane, you said, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, but I think it's because it's so well protected now. They may have had a slow zone briefly, 
war indeed they didn't have one at all because there's a there's the tyre bales that sit on the main road that the race cars don't use of course they turn left and then right and then left and avoid that whole section and therefore it is sort of self-protecting with the marshal still in conversation with Jan who will hand over to Nick de Vries for the Silverstone round of the World Endurance Championship and beyond which is my understanding 20 it'll it'll be assuming he gets through to Le Mans makes his start it'll be his 25th uh, Le Mans 24 hours uh, should he uh, be in the start which will leave him one behind Derek Bell uh, and I'm sure there'll be a bit of um, a bit of rivalry between the pair of them yes I'm sure Derek set to remain with the bragging rights but only just and Jan's back on the move by the way so there'll be white flags I'm sure now covering the number 29 car because and, and we're describing this from uh, very limited closed circuit television that we have around the circuit uh, the car is back on the move but because it's a locked off camera it's now gone out of the view where we can describe what's happening but uh, hopefully that full reset means the car's back up to full speed but I wouldn't be surprised to see it coming into the pits at the end of this still displayed on the timing and scoring as stopped that's not uh, entirely accurate now the car is 12th fastest having done a 334.935 and Jan Lammers sharing with Guido van der Garde and Fritz van Eerd who is uh, I think the CEO of Jumbo who are a big supermarket chain in the Netherlands and Jumbo are emblazoned on the dorsal fin of that bright yellow car the Jumbo car we call it Paul um, yes. Oh, well, you do anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, gonna, I was just thinking it's going to be very tempting to call it the jumbo car just because, but you're, you're right, of course, because it's a, a Dutch company, um, they will say jumbo, um, but uh, as Anglos will uh, will tend <laughs> we'll, to call it the jumbo, the well, jumbo Lara. Either well, we like that. Indeed, and uh, it, it automatically will become a fan's favourite, I think, just because it's easy to pick out. And it uh, looks great. I mean, the Dallara should effectively be slightly more level with the Orica performance. And lots of work has been done over the winter period to say that the Orica 07 is not the go-to tool to win an LMP2 race. I mean, I, th- I think the thing that uh, gets me most about this is, is um, 2018. Uh, it will be 30 years on from Jan Lammer's win at Le Mans. And, uh, you know, I mean, phenomenal when you kind of think, oh, well, I mean, I remember 1988, clear as day, but and I'm sure, I'm sure Jan does as well. Um, but, um, you know, phenomenal the fact that uh, he, he, 30 years later, he can still uh, be uh, at Le Mans and racing um, and, and you yeah, know, just being part of the Le Mans, uh, the Le Mans fab- fabric. You know, he's kind of a, um, the, he's taken over Henri Pescarolo's uh, mantle as being the Le Mans hero um, that's still participating in the race. Yeah, that's agreed. And fantastic to have Jan part of the field once more. Um, it doesn't get any easier for him, though, Joe Bradley, because these cars are uh, they're LMP2s. They are full downforce. You're getting sucked to the ground. The G-forces must be incredible. It's a physical experience. Yeah, and it just shows how fit that man still is when, you know, we... we uh... We've sat around Jan for 
quite a few years and um, he's obviously in very good shape. He'd be round of applause if he was in a GTE car because that's, you know, that's grippy enough. That, those cars put a, a lot of aero grip down, but mm. an LMP2 car, that, you know, I don't think people realise unless they, you know, you've driven something like even a 100cc cart even, it's very, very violent on the on the body, braking, accelerating, and G-force. You know, these are a special breed of human being, and Jan Lammers even more special than than, than, than anyone else here, because it's uh, hats off to him. He's still in massively good shape to be able to just drive those cars. Yeah, and that can be easily overlooked. Uh, with uh, his partner in crime, Fritz van Aert, who is uh, representing the non-pro part of that lineup but Jan I know has been doing a lot of work with Fritz to get him up to speed once again for this race and just sorry go on Paul just, just realized it was Jan Lammer's birthday yesterday as well um so uh, if you do get a chance to talk to him uh, Joe Bradley down in the pits then uh, wish him a happy birthday um from all of us at uh, Radio Le Mans uh, won't say how old he is um just that he's even older than me <laughs> Okay, <laughs> well, those in the know, that will reveal a bit more information, possibly. Uh, there's another car now into the top seven, uh, an LMP1 car. We've not mentioned the fact that the 11 car's gone rather quickly, have we? Jensen Button's uh, time. No, no, well done. Yeah. Mm, 3.26.565. It was just slightly off-putting because Jensen's already back in the pit lane. But prior to his inlap, he did a 3.26.565. So car 11 now up to sixth fastest, right behind... The sister car, number 17, which is now driven by Stefan Sarazat, and it's Dominic Kreiharmer in the number four by College Racing Enso CLM. So top seven, all now LMP1 cars. A couple of them hybrids, being the two Toyotas first and third fastest. And the Ginettas, car six, is currently sixth fastest of the LMP1s. No, not sixth fastest, eighth fastest of the LMP1s, but down in 19th place. And the other cars... We're looking for, therefore, in LMP1 will be the other oh, Ginetta. Yeah, they're 59th and 60th out of the 60-car field. The right. uh, uh, Neither of them have actually recorded a lap, although the, <coughs> the Dragon Speed car, number 10, uh, has done six laps, but none of them have been timed laps. None of them have started and finished on the start-finish line. Um, so the Dragon Speed car, which is a, a brand-new chassis, um, I think that's what uh, Graham was going to tell us about that uh, car. There were supposed to be no more, but um, somewhere um, BR have managed to fashion up a brand-new chassis um, following the accident that befell that car in um, the WEC race at Spa. Um, but the so the Dragon Speed car has been out, not done an a time, and the Ginetta, the number five car, I'm afraid, hasn't even done a lap, hasn't even been out of the pits. And the number four car now reported to be slow on track at Marshall Post 15. That's quite early on in the lap, and uh, reminds me of a, of a chicane somewhere. Am I right, Marshall Post 15, or is it uh, a yes, check? Second, second chicane. Okay, so that's where Jan Lammers uh, came to a halt for quite a while, and that indeed on the uh, on the closed circuit television that we have in the booth here, there are yellow flags being waved uh, on the run into the chicane, or at least there were. Maybe that was a blue flag actually. Difficult to tell from this distance because it's quite low resolution CCTV, but there was a flag there briefly waved, and now is withdrawn. So. Uh, maybe just before or just after a slow car number four it may well have been a white flag of course as the number four car uh, worked its way through with Dominic Kreiharmer at the wheel 
maybe nursing it back to the pit lane. Speaking of which, Joe is still down there for us. Yes, I am. Um, temperatures beginning to rise as the... Uh, are we saying jumbo or yumbo then? <laughs> it's up to you. Well, the, 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 the jumbo, the yumbo uh, supermarket car has arrived back at the pits, but uh, the 32 car, which is next door to it, that's the United Autosports 32. Not sure who was in the car, couldn't quite see. You guys will be able to tell me. But they're taking what looked like they were taking wing off on that car. Now, that's going to make the car go a little bit quicker down the straights, but also what that indicates to me is that they're producing a little bit more mechanical grip, maybe, in the faster bits, and that means the track's beginning to come to us. We're beginning to get rid of all that green, all that dirt, that has been out there and the track is beginning to come to us if we're beginning to see wing taking off the car that's quite a that's quite a confidence thing having the taking the wing off the car because what that can do is make the car very loose so you guys can tell me who's at the wheel of the 32 chancing that first okay uh, hugo de sadelier hugo de sadelier i say i say yeah. hugo paul says hugo well, I've said Jumbo, you say Jumbo. Exactly. That's what it was a reference to. Never mind. It's gone over your head. Carry on. Um, Jan yeah, Lammers is staying in the car, by the way. Okay, so Lammers stays there. No, nope, no, nope, he's gone oh. out. No, nope, sorry. Okay. Just to prove me wrong. All right. So maybe Hida van der Garde to get in, or Fritz van Erd. We'll find out in a moment or two. But there are two bronze-graded drivers, being Fritz and Jan, and Guido van der Garde, the Dutchman again. It's an all-Dutch crew being racing Team Nederland, although they have had Rubens Barrichello race for them uh, last year. But Guido van der Garde is the platinum, and therefore we'll see the super quick times, I would suggest, from that young man during the race. Paul? Uh, yeah, just go back to the uh, United Auto Sports car that we were talking about, uh, de Sadelier. Um He and Bill, Will Owen are um, have both um, qualified as experienced drivers. The guy in that car who's not the experienced driver sounds mad to say it, it's Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, so Juan Pablo's the uh, the guy who uh, needs to do his 10 laps and he's the only driver who's not yet been in that uh, United Autosports car. So I uh, hope they've not had a problem um, because as I say, I'm sure that uh, there will be um, ways and means for drivers who haven't completed their 10 laps to get in. There are um, caveats within the regulations that allow them to do uh, appropriate numbers of laps during free practice should they fail during the um, during the test day to do the appropriate number of laps for uh, mechanical reasons, things like that. Um, but Juan Pablo is the third driver of the United Autosports Ligier, number 32. Um, and uh, I think it was... It was uh, Graham, wasn't it, earlier on, suggesting that we had 23 or 22 ex-Formula 1 drivers plus a current Formula 1 driver uh, potentially lining up on the uh, the grid for this year's 24 hours. I think it's uh, the highest numbers we've ever had. Mm. Well, again, the overlap between Grand Prix racing and endurance racing seems to be greater than it ever was and more power to the elbow who whoever's worked that out or got it going and maybe it's just a natural thing i don't know but there must be some releasing of the rules here and there to allow drivers to head away from the formula one world championship and do some extracurricular activities shall we say purple times pink times appearing again on the screen now partly because kaz nakajima's just pitted so the timing and scoring here at the track actually reports the best sector times during that last stint so Kaz holds the best sector three time of the field 91.518 
And the middle sector currently for Mike Conway, very impressive, is 76.856. We're live from trackside at Circuit de la Sarte. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. And this is Joe Bradley with a bit more updates, a bit more news from the pit lane. You're lining somebody up for an interview. Yes, can you hear me, guys? I can. Yeah. I think you may be right on the very edge. Yes, I am. Of... I am. I've got a. You know, I'm going to explain to Ben why I've dragged him outside. See this kit on my back here? I've got to point that that way, so I've got to stick my bum out of the garage door. Ben, the number 10 uh, car is in. Uh, quite a bit of work going on there. What, what's exactly the issue? Yeah, we just had a just a little issue on track there, so we stopped. Just precautionary, you know, we've just been super, super safe with everything, so no risk. So long as Renger gets his 10 laps in today, then... That's our goal, and just trying to make it. Um, yeah, like I said, we're not we're not pushing anything. We're we're being super safe, so we're just trying to make it as as sturdy as we can for the race. So any little issues we have, then like I said, maximum safety and stop, check everything properly, and then go back. So yeah, it's, it's not not a big issue. We're just we'll be we'll be back on track shortly, I think. And this tested two weeks before race week is it's important for this very thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you you know. We've already done some testing with the Lemon kit, so we've got quite a decent, a decent base, we we believe. So yeah, it's just going through all the little little electrical things, and it's a 24-hour race. You know, we didn't get to run in Spa for the six hours, so that was a major, you know, a major major problem for us as well as what happened. But um, you know, we needed that running. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get it. So like I said, now we're being we're trying to be just get on top of things as, as quickly as we can. So. Cross the T's, dot the ice. Thanks yeah, for talking to us, Ben. Thanks for that bit of information there on number ten. I think that was the, uh, I think that was the, the company. The party line, should we yeah, say? Party line. That was the term I was searching for in my head there. Yeah, uh, Ben's very good at that. Um, you do struggle sometimes to get any information out of him, but uh, you catch him off guard sometimes, maybe without a microphone, and he'll tell you some sneaky secrets. But I think with dramas at the number 10 car, that's the right thing to do as far as the driver's perspective uh, is concerned. So Henrik Hedman, Ben Hanley and Renger van der Zander, and obviously the priority is to get Renger in the car and for him to do 10 laps at some point today. Uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM will be back on the air from Circuit de la Sarte during race week with reports and interviews from the two days of scrutineering and live uninterrupted coverage of every moment of track action, exclusive features, interviews and analysis. Plus, there's a special edition of Midweek Motorsport on Wednesday of race week. So a week this Wednesday, the now traditional midday motorsport starting at noon where you can get up to date with all of the news from the world's greatest race. There's no blocks, there are no breaks and no fees, crucially. Mobile One Radio Lam on 91.2 FM around the track and around the world on RS1. We've just ticked past midday here in France and there is another red flag with 58 minutes still to go. The clock continues to tick by. Debris at Marshall Post 23 is the first indication as to why we've gone red flag. That might be simply to, to create a safe environment to get Marshalls out on track to recover that debris. Not sure which car it's from as yet, or might be a floppy marker post again, or similar, but a red flag is probably the safest way of doing this, Paul, that's, unless you yeah, have any other issue. Uh, no, that's uh, you've got the same information as I have, uh, that there is debris uh, on the track. Um, 
at uh, say Marshall's Post 23, which is two-thirds of the way down the run from Mulsanne Corner to Indianapolis. Those uh, two um, sensational right-handers, which you don't really know that they're there. Um, but uh, if you get the chance to uh, drive around the track part of the road circuit uh, after Mulsanne Corner that takes you down towards Indianapolis, um, there's two very fast right-hand bends, and uh, that's where there is some debris. Um, what we're not told is what the nature of that debris is, whether it's a tyre uh, or something else, we don't know. But uh, if uh, the this has been the second red flag of the session, the earlier red flag was very brief indeed, and we were able to get underway again pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I think uh, what's been uh, impressive, we, we keep on um, getting, and this is going to be a um, what's going to happen during the race, isn't it? Um, the GT Pro battle, which is, uh, it's going to be very exciting, but it is the story of four Fords at the top. Mm. Um, you were saying earlier on that they uh, seem to have established themselves and uh, it is the uh, the four Fords that are fastest. And uh, the other thing which is new for 2018, Johnny, is the fact that we've got four Porsches against the four Fords um, without any four... Porsche interest in the LMP1 category this year, uh, so that's uh, freed up some people, as it were, not least some drivers, um, to be able to participate in the four um, Porsches that are also uh, going to be competing this year, 91, 92, 93, and 94 being the four numbers. Yeah, so you've got to get used to uh, 93 and 94 being Porsche numbers, and uh, I don't, I'm not sure they ever have been. Certainly a 94 on the side of a Porsche was confusing me uh, yesterday when I walked down the pit lane, uh, but we'll get used to it, fear not. Uh, the 81 car was shown briefly as being stopped. I think this is possibly on predicted times, though, through sectors, and the system's being thrown awry very slightly because cars aren't arriving at the end of sectors when uh, quite the computer system expected, and therefore briefly being shown as stopped now being shown in the pit lane. So the 81's got back safely to the pits, as has the 86 Porsche from Golf Racing. We do know, though, Joe, that there was a drama for the 98 car. Lots of oil spilling from the Aston Martin in GTE Am. How is work going uh, down there? Well, when the car was brought in, we uh, we heard Matthias Lauda tell us that uh, he was forced off the track and over the kerbs at the Ford Chicane, which is has uh, damaged the sum of the car. The car came in, left a huge oil slick, the full length of the pit lane, all the way to the 98 Aston garage. And it was a, a quite of a calmness uh, came about the team. Uh, they've now gone to work and they are clearly starting work on removing the engine and replacing the engine. And it does really, I'm really sort of um, impressed with the, uh, the air of calmness and efficiency and organisation that goes into a job when a team like Aston Martin Racing are uh, subjected to this kind of adversity. And it's something that I have always tried to emulate when I've been involved in racing. It's, and one of the things I used to say to my lads was, you know, I, I want complete calmness, no panic, certainly want no panic. And if your head's on fire, I don't want any screaming or shouting, just someone politely and calmly asking to pass the fire extinguisher. Mm. And, and that's exactly what I'm seeing at Aston Martin Racing. Everybody knows their job and everybody going about their business. And uh, that's the, the epitome of professionalism as far as I'm concerned. Do, do you think Joe's a bit like, I think it was Corporal Jones in Dad's Army, wasn't it? He used to rush <laughs> around saying, don't panic, don't panic. Yeah, that's exactly what you don't want, isn't it, Paul? You don't want anybody <laughs> panicking because panic, uh, if one person panics, then that just it just breeds panic and everybody that, starts running around like headless chickens. That's I, not what I, you want. I, 
I agree absolutely. It's not what you want. I just wonder whether that's what you did, Joe. No, God, no. I'm completely... Come on, Paul. You know me. <laughs> Nothing phases me. Any more we... chilled out and he'd be falling over. Exactly. Should we talk about two BMWs? Because you just spoke about them a moment ago, uh, yeah. Johnny. Because I think they're they're worth uh, a highlighting because we haven't had the uh, the new BMW M8. It was highly um, trialed and uh, trailed and trialed. Um, so, uh, but we we do have uh, two of them here at Le Mans this weekend. However, both of them. Oh, we've gone green again, haven't we? Um, uh, have mm, no. No, we not, no, not here anyway. No, 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 <laughs> Maybe sorry, with you. When I no, I the trouble was I flicked from one screen to another, and as I did so, everything moved, which made me think that we'd gone green. Right. The two BMWs then are here. Uh, they are numbers 81 and 82, um, but each of them only have two drivers on their uh, driving lineup for uh, this particular. Um, test session. So um, they're, they're planning to do the test session with just Martin Tomczyk and Nicky Katzberg driving the 81 and uh, Antonio Felix da Costa and Al Alex Sims driving the uh, number 82 car. Although for the race itself, uh, Philip Eng will be joining the 81 crew uh, and Augusto Farfus will be joining the 82 crew. Um, and of course, the part of the problem that BMW has is that um, because they're new to um, Le Mans or not because they're returning to Le Mans, uh, is finding drivers that uh, have the appropriate levels of experience. Um, and both uh, Nicky Katzberg uh, and Martin Tomczyk have already done the requisite laps in the 81 car. Uh, Antonio Felix Costa and Alex Sims have done a requisite number of laps as well in the 82. So they've they've done enough to get them get themselves through. Um, but uh, Philip Eng um, and Augusta Farfas have still to um, qualify themselves, but they will be allowed to do that in the first. Uh, free practice session on Wednesday um, evening of Le Mans week itself. Another message on the screen which reports that the morning session will not be resumed. So that is your lot for this morning, I'm afraid, uh, with another 52 minutes or so that we could potentially run for. But uh, morning session, it is decided, will not continue. So it's an early lunch break for everybody. Part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. This is Mobile One Radio Le Mans on 91.2 FM, around the circuit and around the world on RS1 via the RSL player and on RadioLeMans.com, of course. Uh, Joe, um, news filtering through and down to the pit lane that we're not going to get any more running for the morning session. Certainly one crew that will be very happy about that are the 98. Yeah, absolutely. That's given them 52 minutes extra to extra time to, to get that engine reinstalled and uh, get out there for the beginning of the session. Um, I'm in BMW land trying to get the attention of Alex Sims, who uh, has not just been in the car. That was the uh, job of his teammate up to now, which is um, it's and Felix da Costa, isn't it? Who's been out in the car? He's put his he's putting his helmet back on, so he's got gotten out. He's swapped helmets and he's put his helmet back on. So I'm not sure whether he's been told that the session is finished. Um, let's see if I can grab Alex while I'm down here. You can hear the guns going. Lots of work going on both of the 81 and the 82 car. And Alex has disappeared out the back for a debrief. So an eerie silence, other than the sound of uh, wheel guns, descends upon the Le Mans pit lane. 
and uh, if I can grab anybody on my way back in, Johnny, I will indeed. Trying to get some uh, bit of information as to what's gone on as we've uh, finalised this session. There's Alex. Let's have a word with Alex Sims. Alex Sims, um, your teammate has been out the car. You've been out the car because you've got a very sweaty shoulder there. Um, what's it been like this morning as the track was as track as green as everyone was expecting it to be? I would guess so. Um, I went out first and then have just come in from one run then. So I saw sort of the evolution between the start and just towards the end of the session. And yeah, it was quite a big difference. Um, loads and loads of dust and rubbish getting thrown up on the early laps. But... Yeah, as you'd expect. And so what happens from your, from what you guys do? Do you start, um, I've seen wing being taken off some of the prototypes. Is that as the track comes, the mechanical grip increases, allows you to do so? Possibly, or they're just doing a test to see what effects it have at top speed, because whether the track's green or rubbered in, you know, the top speed gains or losses will be pretty much the same, I'd have thought. Um, after you, chasing it too much at the moment, you know, the track's a lot and the problems with balance and stuff that you have in the first hour of the session might be completely unrepresentative to what you have later on so we're trying not to chase things too much and just work on the main issues so do you start with the jobs list and you work through that you don't vary the program as the as the day progresses pretty much um you have a few runs factored in to be able to shift the balance if it's out of the window but yeah generally we'll, we'll try and run the program and understand bits of information and we've we're gonna we've lost now 52 minutes this session's not going to be resumed does that, does that cost you anything in real terms uh, i mean everyone would like as much time as possible but uh you know, that's the realities of racing isn't it? and um just hope that the driver's okay by all accounts it's quite a big crash so um it's it's not a massive issue same for everyone Thanks, Alex. Leave it for some lunch. Alex Sims there. By the sounds of things, it's quite a big crash. Okay. Yeah, so we haven't got that information yet, have we? No, John? we haven't. And I'm now trying to work out, Paul Trustwell, uh, which car we're talking about because the top st first page is certainly. Um, I've lost my remote control. That's all right. I've <laughs> solved it now. At the top page, everyone's accounted for. Car 95, though is being called now has stopped and that's one of the ones i said would probably work its way back to the pit lane as i described because cars weren't reaching the end of sectors as expected uh, that was possibly a glitch but now wall maybe has become clear and we're talking about the 95 car uh yes that's right 95 and 35 uh um there was an incident involving them uh is all i can tell you at the moment i'm afraid um because uh, that's all that my screen tells me and as you rightly say the 95 has yet to return to the pit lane it was in the hands of marco Sorensen. that's the aston martin uh running in the gt pro class uh which marco was driving and the 35 car is the smp racing uh in the uh, lmp2 class which was in the hands of norman nato i think number 35 let me just double check that see if it was still him driving uh i know it was harrison yeah harrison norman nato had driven it but then harrison uh, got back out in it so uh, harrison newey um Potentially, uh, although he has made it back to the pits, but um, maybe if Joe can uh, head down to SMP. 
land the LMP2 SMP car because we've got the two LMP1 cars, but they're also running a car in LMP2 as well uh, with Harrison Newey, which apparently was involved in an incident with the Aston Martin, it would seem. So that's the 35 SMP racing Delara, which uh, Victor Scheitar and Norman Nato, as you say, are also part of the lineup, but silver graded Harrison Newey at the wheel at the time. So we will try and unearth exactly what's happened there. Potentially got a rather damaged 95 Aston Martin, I'm afraid to say. But, uh, Gemma, we should probably talk about GTE Pro and AM, for that matter. But Pro's been interesting to me because if you're not part of the Ford camp, it's not exactly worrying times, but to have all four Fords at the top of the times and the slowest of those is just a tenth clear of the next best car, which is the number 91 Porsche. Uh, but, you know, we keep talking about balance of performance and equivalence of technology. We don't have any EOT in GTs, but it is a fine balance, is it not, to try and get all five of these massive manufacturers in GT on a level playing field? Yeah, I mean, each car is different sizes, different weights, you know, um, different, obviously, engines and even though they're restricted in terms of limit to four, four litres. So trying to, again, balance the different performances, you imagine how many parameters are, of data and, and are in a, uh, in a race car. It's very, very difficult. Um, but it's interesting GTs for me because they are, because of the balance of performance, they are restricted in terms of the amount of boost they mm. can put into the engine. So it's an air-restricted formula. Whereas LMP1 and LMP2 are obviously fuel flow. Yeah. So that has a whole completely different um, engine approach for the engine manufacturers. And um, particularly with the LMP1 non-hybrids, that's quite an interesting story because there are four completely different um, engine, well, engine manufacturers, but also concepts. You've got naturally aspirated versus turbocharger. You've got V8, you've got V6s. Um, so, yeah, I think... That's that's another interesting little story there um, in terms of LMP1 non-hybrids. Yes, and and actually the fact that now four of the five cars in that class are turbocharged engines might make adjustment a little easier. I know you can't rely purely on turbo boost increase or decreases of it, but bear in mind uh, now the Ferrari 488 is a twin turbocharged 3.9 litre. It was always with the, the days of the screaming high-pitched 458 that was a normally aspirated 4.5 litre. So that's turbocharged. The Ford EcoBoost is a turbocharged, no prizes for, for guessing that. The BMW's uh, got a turbo as well. It's a 4-litre V8 with a turbo, and now the Aston Martin turbocharged as well for 2018. We're still trying to do a little bit of digging around to, to find out exactly what's happened out on track to cause this red flag and to bring the morning session to an early close. Joe Bradley is the detective on the beat, as usual. Yeah, I got a chance to speak to Michael Wainwright firstly, though, in the most... I love seeing Gulf Porsche, Michael. You are driving a car with the most evocative livery here at Le Mans. It's so synonymous with the place. You must get something out of that. Of course, look. As well as driving at Le Mans, of course. Yeah, exactly. Look, it's special for us as a team, for Gulf. It's their 50th anniversary this year. I think the car looks great. Uh, and I hope we put on a show for the public next week. Yeah. How's the test going so far? Happy with the job list being ticked off? Yeah, look, it's all good. We're trying lots of things. Firstly, I hope Marco's okay in the Aston. It happened just in front of me. Um, all right, did you say anything? I mean, I know we don't like to speculate. I'm not going to comment, yeah. Um, but, you look, lots to do. I think getting the balance right today so that we can go into the race week uh, without having to change much is the most important thing. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for that.
Uh, guys, before I bump into Michael, um, I'm not going to put my nose in anywhere with regards to this incident because there are concerned faces in Aston and in SNP. So until we get any further information, I think it would be respectful to stay off it until we get something confirmed rather than just speculate because um, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a shunt that's got everyone's attention. Yeah, yeah, no, perfectly understandable. And uh, obviously we don't want to report any uh, incorrect facts. So we'll, we'll try and find out exactly what's gone on and uh, get you the, get you, uh, the truth before we report anything uh, as far as speculation is concerned. Although speculation is something we do quite a lot on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91. 1.2 FM. Um, so we've drawn to a close. I'm delighted to say we've got uh, Marcel Fessler in with us. So uh, Marcel, come and have a quick chat from Chevrolet Corvette Racing, because um, obviously this is all a little bit unplanned. Uh, an early lunch, which uh, just yep. flick it right Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Hello, Marcel. Hello. Great to have you on board, and great to have you here as part of uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans coverage for 2018. An early lunch, which, you know, I wouldn't be um, against necessarily, but it does put a little bit of a spanner in the works as far as the teams are concerned and their approach to the day. Or can things very easily be moved to slightly different times? Yeah, I think it can be moved because now it's just an earlier stop. So if they try to gonna restart in uh, 1.30 uh, in the afternoon, I think there is uh, still a lot of time to prepare everything. Uh, we have a shuttle which we try to do uh, different kind of setups running the, the whole day. So it's just, um, it's changed a little bit, but doesn't matter too much to us. Uh, we're quite happy that uh, the Aston Martin, I think he, the driver was... Uh, Marcus Orenson. Yeah, Marcus is uh, apparently okay, what I heard, so this is, I think, is the most important thing. Absolutely. Did this incident happen anywhere close to where you were on the, in the track, or were you not in the car at the no, time? No, actually, I should. Ju- I just jumped into the car, actually, So, but I didn't move, so it was the red flag uh, which uh, Oli Gavin brought in the car, mm. and then I jumped into the car, be- was ready to leave, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think there's uh, too much to repair, so uh, yeah, didn't do any meters at the moment. <laughs> Okay, so a bit of a, f- yeah. a frustrating morning for you, or are no. you, it's going to plan? No, it's not frustrating. You know, things like that happen um, sometimes on in a race day or in a test day that you have a red flag, and yeah, you d- I will just drive a bit later. Of so course. It doesn't matter much. <laughs> Um, and it's a long day, I suppose. There are there are certain things that you need to work through. Uh, you need to get drivers through as well. The fact about rookie laps doesn't apply to any of you, your guys, as far as I know at Corvette. No, I think we we are definitely done with that. I think uh, the, the least experienced one has at least 10 starts here. <laughs> so I think we, we should be fine. Yeah, about I think that. so. Yeah. You know your way around yeah. here by now. Yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, how are you approaching looking at the times at the moment? Because I would be very confident if I were in the Ford camp. This is test day, though, I have to remind myself of. But the Fords took a little bit of time to actually get to being fastest. They're now first, second, third and fourth in the times. It's very tight, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's very tight. Time yeah, wise. it's very tight. And we should not forget the track is improving uh, lap by lap because it was quite green in the beginning, especially the... The part which is uh, not the usual part of the racetrack it means the, the long straights, Indianapolis and also the Porsche corners, you know, the rub- it has to be rubbered in first. So I think the lap times goes quicker and quicker and I guess uh, the fastest will be, the lap time will be in the end of the day, I guess, when everything is... Um, 
more or less in a better a better shape than now. But the, the lap times are already faster than last year's pre-test from the GT. I don't know the LMP cars, but the GT one, uh, the GT E class is definitely already faster than last year. So there was a you can see some development have done mm. was done over the year, and it shows that on on lap times. Mm. And some manufacturers turning up with brand new cars. Aston Martin. How much work have Corvette done to their car over the winter period? And obviously we've had some big races already. Daytona, Sebring. This is their only race in Europe, but is is huge. Yeah. And you know, obviously Doug Feehan and all those at Corvette desperate to win this race again. Yeah, and it's uh, it's the only race here in Europe, but it's a very um, maybe the most important race over the year, let's say. In the world. Uh, in the world, but also for us uh, at Corvette. So it means a lot. So the preparation was really done, really, uh, it was definitely highlighted, you know, that means we went to a, any every details pretty close. The developing of the car was for sure done as much as we could in terms of uh, uh, the possibilities of the rules. So I think we we think we are in a very good shape. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go through the day first and then to analyze everything properly because we still have uh, for sure some work to do. We want to know, we want to understand the car better for the race. So there's uh, a few things we have to go through first. And then also analyzing a little bit uh, our opponent, uh, where they are, what lap times they can do. That's all normal stuff we do after a test day. Mm. Things have changed very slightly as far as pit stops are concerned this year because you can now change tyres as well as the fuel going in and the driver changes too. And we were having a conversation earlier on on Mobile One Radio Lamont about what's now the time critical bit of the pit stop because it could be the driver change. All you need is a slight fumble, getting you out and Tommy in, let's say, and that's what delays the pit stop. It's no longer fuel first and then the tyres and, uh, and the driver change afterwards. Yeah, it means that uh, we driver have to hurry up now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. The focus is uh, on you. Yeah, the focus is that uh, we have to train much more uh, driver changes. But normally uh, it's uh, done, I think, let's say it should be easily done in, or not easily, but uh, we can do it in 20 seconds. And I think what I know that the refueling time will be around about 30 seconds. So there is time, but not a, a lot of margin, let's say. Yes. So for sure, we have to train pit stops because there is easily to lose seconds if you're not ready to leave the pit. And yeah, and I think as we driver have to focus on that, uh, especially during the week before the race. Getting to, to grips with the car again, because you've been racing Audis, haven't you, elsewhere? GT3 Audis. Yes. Nürburgring 24, we yes. were there at that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was a fun weekend. A strange weekend. What a weird way to end yeah. a race. Yeah, I think it was fun in the beginning, but let's say it wasn't as much fun in the end when you are in the or you were in the car. Uh, it was, I think it was quite critical to race in the end. And I was not happy about the decision for the restart personally. Mm. Because I think You're not it was, alone there, I don't think. Yeah, I think uh, I had a, spoke to a few others race driver and it was really, uh, yeah, more than on the edge. But luckily enough, uh, yeah, luckily everyone went through without any issues. So, yeah, uh, but... Uh, it but was this beast that you've yeah. got here, very different. I, mean, I suppose it doesn't take you too long to readjust. Mm, the, the kind of driving style definitely is different, uh, especially also because we, dr yeah, you have to get used a little bit 
but because I, I drive it already since three years combined with the Audi GT3, uh, I can switch on and and, uh, and jump to the other cars quite easily, let's say, like this. And um, yeah, and the Michelin tires definitely also helps me a lot to to adjust it quite well. Thank you, Marcel. Yeah, thank you uh, very it's much. A too. really quick chat, but yeah, that's particularly because we've got to our lunch break too. But we appreciate you coming here and uh, having a quick chat with us on Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Um, so, before we sign off for our lunch break, let's do an hourly update uh, and also, actually, uh, yeah, an update from Graham as far as the incident is concerned. This is going to be super quick, Graham, because we've got things to get to over the lunch break. But um, uh, indication from Marcel Fessler, at the very least, that Marco Sorensen appears to be OK. I believe so, is the honest answer there. Uh, so it's an incident involving the 35 Dallara and Marco Sorensen. happened on the run down to Indianapolis. Uh, the Harrison knew he was aboard the 35 car, was chased, uh, passed by the Tota, um, came across a group of three GT cars, the third of which was the Aston. Uh, Tota made it by... Aston initially pulled out to follow the Toyota through, realised the Dallara was there, pulled out of it, but then I think possibly made an error in trying to follow the Dallara through too quickly, tagged the rear of the car, and it was a big accident. So happily, uh, Marco appears to be okay. There are, though, some pretty extensive power repairs required, which is why we lost those 50 minutes of running time, but it looks like they're trying to actually add some of that back mm. for the second session. Yes, because it was scheduled for a two o'clock start, but the aim is to try and get the uh, second session restarted at 1.30. An hourly update slightly ahead of time, purely because we uh, are uh, trying to go to the lunch break and, of course, bring you this feature about Guy Smith and his retirement. More on that in a moment. But uh, throughout race week... Make sure you stay listening to Mobile One Radio Le Mans for a great ticket and hospitality competition starting uh, in Le Mans week itself, as I say, from the Wednesday, a week on Wednesday, for tickets to the August event of the World Endurance Championship, the only place that you can, in the UK, see current Le Mans races, Le Mans cars racing out on track. And the Silverstone hourly update reads as follows. Fastest, then, at this slightly curtailed first session is the number eight Toyota Gazoo race car 321.468 that was a Fernando Alonso time second fastest the number three rebellion racing car 321.8 third quickest the seven Toyota 322.187 and fourth fastest the number one uh, rebellion car of uh, Bruno Senna last to drive that 323.595 fifth and sixth fastest the 17 and 11 SMP racing BR1s 325.4 and 326.5 LMP2 the fastest car number 26 the G-Drive racing Orica a 330 Point one, faster than number 48, the Edex Sport Orica, a 330.8, and the 31 Dragon Speed Car, a 331.2. GTE Pro, a story of Ford GTs from the Chip Ganassi outfit. Both UK cars fastest, 67 from 66, 353.0 and a 353.9. Third fastest was the American GT, uh, Ford GT, number 69, 354.4. And to complete that Ford lineup, car 68 with fourth fastest. And in GTE Am, the 61 Clearwater Racing Ferrari remained quickest with a Matt Griffin time of 358.5 from the 77 7 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche, Matt Campbell last to drive it at 358.5. The 88 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche, 359.8. And then the 86 Golf Porsche at 359.909. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.